G'day, Storm Fiends, AOS coach. Uh, I've just been practicing my guest name like a hundred times. So if you saw this weird <laughs> laugh to kick off, it's because it's Matthias. Um, so I didn't, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, is it Matthias? Is it Matthias? Like, I'm like, I'm gonna butcher this, but it's Matthias. <laughs> it's a weird one. Like, it's not weird. It's just different from my community. It's certainly <laughs> one that I've never come across in the 30 years that I've been in uh, on the world, but. Um, we are here talking Skaven. Quick introduction. Um, this is a Skaven show. I've uh, my guest today is uh, Matt. I've already butchered it. <laughs> Matthias. <laughs> but That's more importantly, <laughs> look in Australia. Look, mate. Right, I'm gonna I'm going full Australia now, mate. We just everything's a nickname. We give everybody oh, a nickname. Yeah. So like like Maccas is is Mickey D's or uh, Kmart right. is like Taj. Uh, sorry, we, we, we change everything, right? So mm -hmm. I, I think I'm going to get to a point where you get a nickname. You get a custom AOS coach nickname. Ooh, we'll see what comes okay. up. But we're talking Skaven. We're talking Skaven. And the reason for this show, despite having a couple of already episodes on Skaven, is you have just come back from the Games Workshop Open, an invitational tournament series that has wrapped up the, I guess, the 2022 um, tournament series at Games Workshop. And I'll get you to explain a little bit. I thought I'd just give a bit of context first. But you came second in the best overall, which is an incredible uh, no, performance. Best general. So, best general, sorry, not best overall. I was talking to Phil yeah. the other day who was best overall. Yeah. But you... You had come second in best general, getting to the final, and we'll talk about your path. We'll talk mm -hmm. about all of the event, but really I want to talk to you about how are you thinking about Skaven? And given that we are on the cusp of a new general's handbook, how are you thinking about the faction without bounty hunters and expert conquerors? What's really worked for mm. you thinking about the meta choices, thinking about uh, the combinations and the synergies, because Old-time Skaven people have really lost their tools. You know, they'd have their Gracia on Screaming Bell. It would have a Battleshock mm -hmm. immunity. You'd flood the board with um, with Clan Rats. You might have some Gisales or some, you know, Acolytes and some Shooty Shoots. But, you know, we've got only to Thankwell. And even, you know, you've taken Thankwell and his surfboard cheese, you know, endless spell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny, actually. I was, I was looking it's on classic. Twitter. I was looking on I was on Facebook the other day and someone was asking about um, how do you build um, that Lachlan, the soul, soul seeker, the endless spell. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, isn't he in the thankful kit? Like, isn't the instructions in the thankful kit? Cause it's just like, you don't take thankful without <laughs> as well. it. <laughs> right. But we are talking all things Skaven. So I've done the introduction and um, I'm really looking forward to this because this will be a little bit different. It's not quite a talking series. It's more about, your experience and how you got the most out of Skaven. And I'd love to hear from you how you're thinking about Skaven without bounty hunters and expert conquerors because your giant rat slapped. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start by saying they aren't garbage without bounty hunters, but they definitely rely on it a lot for their output. So they definitely change roles or shift gears a lot. Oh, they're so good. They're so good. But before we get into all the Skaven stuff, who are you? Uh, where are you from? Um, I know people might have seen you on Saga of Dice. Um, they do a great series of um, not only just, you know, talking about Warhammer during the week, but they've got some great battle reports that you have featured in, which is, I think, where I saw you for the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so um, I have been playing AOS since it 
came out, I started playing in, what was it? Eight Fed Fantasy with Toon Kings. And then the, <laughs> then yeah, you know, all that happened. And so I switched to playing Corn for a bit and then Skaven right before the new, the first GHB came out. So that's where I started with Skaven. And I've been playing them on and off since, but I will say that I haven't really been able to play hyper competitively up until this year, although I've been trying to play competitively for a while. It's only until this year that I was enabled to start going to tournaments thanks to my good friend Dale Johnson. He's Chump Hammer on Twitter. He because he literally drove me out to every single event in Seattle. Hey, there he is. <laughs> yeah. He's, and he's so in the chat. I have all of this success to at, to be thankful to him for because he's literally driving out to all the tournaments and I just kind of piggybacked on him out. And so everything is because of him. And so that's why I've been able to show up to tournaments like this. I can see yeah. the the re-rolling one crew are absolutely on fire. Quick one, Bear is asking, are you old enough to be on YouTube? <laughs> oh man, for a game that's like built around that has a lot of dads in it i feel so like young and small talking to all these people with beards that i can't even grow a beard myself i am 24 just to put it out there but that feels relatively young uh I, I won't mark it on youtube as like this is for kids but uh mason mason's <laughs> asked actually well to bring us back a little bit is why is skaven the best shooting army and it's funny uh spoiler you have three warp lightning cannons in your list and we'll talk about your yeah. list but lists change over time which is why long-term mm -hmm. fans of the channel would know i don't talk about lists immediately because it's about the process it's about the thinking and as the meta changes evolves and points increase and decrease and general's handbook switch out what's in, what's most important is understanding from my guests how do you look at a, a book how do you make the most of the synergies and the war scrolls and maximize the points mm -hmm. increases and decreases because otherwise you take it into that list you run it really well and then when the book changes, it's like, well, what do I do? I don't understand how I get there. Thus, the process behind it and that, that my guest would appreciate being uh, the mad scientist that he is. Hmm. Right, for sure, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot to cover in the Skaven book. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot to cover in the Skaven book. And they have a deep toolbox. So there is a lot to work with, especially in the realm of shooting and to the point of is Skaven the best in shooting is one of the big strengths is that they can do so many different types of shooting. They have mass output, they have long range, they have mortal wounds, they have higher end, they have this, that, and the other, they have a mix. And it's great. So there's always different options to help you be adaptable to the future. Yeah, the Skaven's always been, for me at least, maybe the players that I play against, I've had a lot of experience against shooty Skaven. And are they the best shooty, mm -hmm. shooty army in the game? They're definitely up there. I have played mm -hmm. against, I remember, you know, back in first edition, I'd played uh, a gentleman called Dan Brewer, um, very popular in the Skaven mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. Dan would would flood the board with um, Gisales and Acolytes and, mm -hmm. um, you know, use the clan rats to, you know, clog up the board and, you know, would cause an absolute nightmare yeah. and terror to me. I played against a couple of lists like yours where it's been three lightning cannons and it's, I remember I actually played a tournament recently where I rocked up to the table, the dude had three lightning cannons, Gisales, oh no, no, Gisales, Acolytes and even the, uh, the weapons teams. 
And he's like, look, man. Oh, yeah. One of us are going to die really quickly. I don't know which one, but we're going to have a lot of fun. And it was true. There was mm -hmm. lots of ones, and that meant the mortal wounds from the lightning cannon. There was also a lot of dead warp lightning uh, weapons teams as well as they just blew themselves up. And I think that's probably one thing I want to talk to you about later on as well, is that Skaven is heavy has a lot of randomness to it if you build that way. Mm -hmm. And I know that's also why people don't like Doom Wheels because they're just too random. So I'll talk to you a little bit later as well about how do you embrace the randomness that is Skaven because it's bloody good army, but it takes a special person to accept that not everything is going to go to plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, there's... All of Scryer things, especially, have randomness and then randomness that can kill you, too. So you have to be very careful with how much or what you're taking in Scryer, specifically. Every other of the uh, clans, I don't think they really have too much randomness. No. But, yeah. but, but they don't do the mortal wounds. They don't do the fun stuff. Yeah, they're, they're not the range. They're not the mortals. They're not the casting. All the good things that you want from Scryer, so... You kind of have to take a little bit of Scryer for the most part. So talk to talk to me about your pathway to get there, right? So first off, how did you get mm -hmm. the invitation? If somebody if somebody's thinking about you know becoming a champion like you and they want to be playing in the invitational, it is was a games workshop invitational, so not everyone could attend this particular event. So how'd you get the golden mm -hmm. ticket? Yeah, so the golden ticket it's literally a golden ticket for those who don't know <laughs> it's this fun little thing yeah it's great um but the golden ticket the setup and i believe this started last year but i hadn't even heard of it last year is there's u.s open tournaments throughout the u.s so this year it was seattle san diego chicago was it yeah chicago had one. one other one that i can't remember kansas city i believe Yes. Um, all of those are GW-held tournaments and entirely run by GW. If you got best general or best overall in one of those tournaments, then you would have gotten the golden ticket. And that golden ticket gets you into the U.S. Open Finals, where you're fighting against, in a bracket of eight other people. This time it was a double knockout, and I think they're going to stick with that format. And it's all of the other best generals you're fighting with. Like, for example, here, yeah. That round one on the very the top left, those are all eight people. And then there's best overall. So there's separate tracks. Best overall never fights best general. Um, but both of you get an invite from, there's two invites per tournament. In addition to the four US Open tournaments, there was also the really big ones in the US, like LVO, Nova, Adepticon, I believe. Yeah, Adep yeah Adepticon and, got two big, Emma, Emma and uh, Matt Sweeney had yeah. got tickets because of the, yeah, we won't go into mm -hmm. that. And I think there's at large as well. I don't know how they decide at large, but it's probably, I know Emma got an at large technically because of the whole snafu they had going on then. Um, but there was other at larges. And then there's also the London GT. So that's, mm. I don't know specifically who got what ticket from where, but all of those tournaments are possibly qualifying. And if you do best general or best overall, then that's how you get a ticket to go to here. And it's uh, paid for with the flight, the resort stay, and the ticket itself. And it's just, you go to that tournament, and there's this hall of all these really good players, and it's crazy, and you just played each other. And there's a stream set up and everything, and they give you free drink tickets, so they know how to treat you right there. 
No, it, for everything that I saw, um, it was incredible. I almost was there, folks. Mm. I was almost a sneaky little entry, uh, being like, I was, uh, there were some discussions happening where I could have been like the 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 interviewer and and being a TO, but didn't mm. quite happen this year. I was actually on the other side of Australia, but hopefully next year uh, I, I can be there. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone who might be wondering as well, the difference between best general and best overall. Best general, to simplify it, because every tournament does it differently, especially when you compare the GW events versus like uh, Adepticon, LVO, Nova, mm-hmm. London, GT. The difference really is best general is usually decided by like victory points, purely wins, battle tactics, grand strategies, very raw figures. The best overall is a combination of could be sports, could be painting. It could be uh, like just it's it's more of an overall best uh, I think people call it, uh, what is it called? Renaissance man, or um, th- there's a yeah. number of names of like a combination of like hobby scores, as well as your, your victory points and, and wins and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, it was great to see uh, so many champion people from across the world playing. And I believe there's going to be expansion plans and who knows how big this will get. Yes. So if you're thinking about getting an invitation and, and, and want to, you know, you're striving to win a one of these GW tournaments. So hopefully we know which tournaments will will be eligible, um, I don't know, soon when the General's Handbook's opened up or something. Yeah, probably in the new year, I imagine they're going to announce a new suite of tournaments that you can get into. And then I think I remember hearing that over time, they want to transform it into an equivalent to a world championships that isn't team-based. So that's what they're striving to make it. I don't know how long that'll take if, and it should be doable, I imagine. And so they want to invite people from all over the world, like yourself as well, to get in on that as well, to make it feel like it's more of a world championship. Yeah, and that's probably one call out, right, is um, even though it was the GW series, a lot of the events were from um, the US. So there was only two UK people. There was nobody else invited from other tournaments. So none of the big other world tournaments. I know Germany's had some big tournaments. Australia runs the biggest tournament until LVO this year. I think 240 was our last major, massive tournament. So at the moment that yeah it's mass lvo is meant to be 350 i believe so um like there's a lot of big tournaments that unfortunately didn't get the access to the golden ticket but i think moving forward you'll probably see more international events getting Mm -hmm. the golden ticket and uh, it looked like an incredible series a big weekend of warhammer Mm -hmm. i think i I heard games were going past eight nine o'clock at night there was this double elimination stuff as well which made very fascinating paths like you could lose a game but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're out it actually meant that you played in a loser bracket and you could fight your way back in Mm -hmm. yeah it's a wild different kind of setup especially because every tournament i've ever seen is always you know it's round robin and then the highest score at the end wins where the winners fight the winners and whatnot but here it's a knockout tournament but a double knockout tournament and you get to see your opponent's faction before you make your list. And then you get to see your opponent's list beforehand. And you know the player, too. So you have a lot of very specific information that you can use to prepare against your opponent. And then you can also just know that you are you need to be not knocked out. You can't lose more than two games. So you have to prepare more than just your immediate opponent, but the people in your relative top, the top or bottom half of your bracket. And then on top of that, the entire bracket as a whole. 
And so it really warps list decision making for a lot of the time. And you can absolutely list tailor against an opponent. And that's to some extent, I did do some of that myself, knowing that I had to if I wanted to get my goal for the tournament, which was one win, two losses. And I think I did a little bit better than that, surprisingly. Good segue. That's exactly where I wanted to to go. By the way, Saga, um, GW tournaments, uh, question from, from Saga, um, GW tournaments means no proxies to, correct me if I'm wrong. So Games Workshop events traditionally have policies where um, they must be GW models, or if they're 3D printed, you must be able to prove that you created the file. So um, yeah. They have some hard rules on, I mean, they're taking a lot of photos, putting, they, they streamed, which was amazing. That was great to see. Normally, like the last couple of events, they've just done only 40K streams, but they had alternated between the two, which was just incredible. I appreciate Eddie and I appreciate uh, Paul Murphy um, for, for streaming those. And Paul did an incredible job being a 40K person talking Sigma, um, if anyone caught the stream. Hmm. But the question I was going to ask you was, how did you, how, first off, why Skaven? And I just want to put a caveat on what you said, right? Because you talked about list tailoring and I don't want people to listen to this going, oh, you know, you knew your entire pathway. So you kind of got an upper hand and, and it was a bit cheaty. And that's not, not correct. That's mm. actually not true. What you knew going into the bracket was you knew the opponents you were going to play or the, the, the names. Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, you knew the faction and only the faction. Yeah. So everyone had to submit their list and you knew that your first game was against Caleb Walters. Caleb was going to play Disciples of Zinch, but you had no idea what was in his list. You didn't know the battle plan. You All you knew were those two pieces of information, right? You, We did also get the player pack at the same time we figured out the factions too. So we did know the battle plans as well. And that okay. played a part to it. Um, that didn't play any parts in list building for me, but it plays a part in letting you prepare ahead of time, like specifically with novel placement. It's really nice to know the battle plans you'll be on. Um, but yeah, we knew the faction a week before we had to submit our list. So you don't even have that much time, but you get to know your opponent a little bit. I think we knew a few days before that. And knowing it was Caleb, he's only Zinch. So I basically knew it was Zinch ahead of time. But other people like Gavin Grigar or Tom Guan, you're like, you can guess what they're going to play, but you can't guarantee what they're going to play. They've played like five different, six different factions at all these different tournaments. So it's not always the most helpful information until you actually get them to lock in a faction. Yeah, especially like Tom and Gavin, who have been running multiple, um, you know, I think this time last year, he won an event um, with a squig list. Uh, you know, then he's been playing Daughters of Cain and, you know, Beasts of Chaos and um, it, 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 it it's interesting because like you can try to build a list going into the tournament to be the counter, but sometimes you don't actually fight what you're trying to counter. And then you're fighting an uphill battle for those five, those five games, because you're going in going, I'm going to try to dominate the magic because I'm concerned about Seraphon and Lumineth and you mm -hmm. play nothing, none of them. So it, 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 list building can be quite interesting. So I want to go back to the original question. Why Skaven? Hmm. Why Skaven? And what was what was it you were trying to build into when preparing for your list? Mm -hmm. So to start, I 
didn't even qualify with Skaven at the U.S. Open Seattle. That's the tournament I got, the tournament I got best general in. I took Nurgle. It was Glockkin Nurgle because Skaven hadn't had their new book at the time. And Nurgle was relatively new. And I borrowed the army off of three separate people, just hodgepodging models to try and piece an army together. And I kind of feel like I accidentally won that. But um, yeah, I got that from thanks to my friends Rob Taunts, Chris Cesaris, and uh, Eric Armstrong. They, but it was just all different, and I'm definitely not getting best overall when I have three different people's armies painted together there. But I got best general with that. It was just my two armies, Ossiarch, Bone Reapers, and Skaven at the time were in the dumpster. I had been smashing my head against the wall trying to get Skaven to work for so long, and I was getting no results out of it. And so until the new book came out, I qualified off of that. But then once the new book came out, that's the main reason I went with Skaven. My other army, Ossiar Bone Reaper, still has some legs. It can play still. It's not awful. But the Skaven just got a new book. It's relatively new. And mapping it out, I was like, there'll be a decent amount of time, not a full year of people to get used to the book. But that still makes the book relatively new enough that you can still have things that'll surprise people. Certain picks, you know, giant rats, for example, are something that people might not expect. And I'm totally happy to play one of my two main armies that just had a new book. And so it was kind of a no-brainer at that point. I want to, speaking of giant rats, I want to bring up a photo. This this was the first encounter I ever had with giant rats. Um, this is my mate Thomas, who I had a, who if you, if you go back to the early days of Age of Sigma on my channel, uh, I had Thomas uh, Thomas on my channel talking about Skaven. And he ran two hundred giant, so two hundred giant rats um, at at a tournament. I remember him pulling down Archeon with giant rats, with just like the little whippy, the little whippy models or whatever it was, just cracking at those giant rats. But it, like, I think one thing I appreciate as because I played a lot against Skaven, and um, not a lot of people probably have, especially from the early days, is it's a really hard army to counter because they play untraditionally. My opponents often are playing like 4D chess where, you know, like I'll get into combat. Like I, I talked earlier about like a Dan Brewer, I'll get into combat and I've got this idea of like my attack sequence. I'm doing this, 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 and this, and he will just retreat. And for a lot of people, right. retreating doesn't come to mind. They get bloodlust and they're just like, right, I've got to kill, kill, kill. I'm going to fight my way out of combat. But it's just like retreat, charge in your slingshot and, and cap an objective and you'll use retreating as extra movement to secure. You know, there's so much shenanigans with the um, with the gnar holes through, you know, you know um, skitter leap. There's just a lot of tactical things that you look at the game a little bit different. And that can be a challenge for a new person. It's like, why isn't my army working in a very traditional way? Because you don't play mm -hmm. traditionally. You, 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 you embrace the randomness you look at the game very differently. And I think that's one of the most mm. exciting things with Skaven and what draws me to the idea of being a Skaven person. Yeah, they have a lot of mobility is the big word that comes to mind. There's a lot of different little tricks and moves you can pull for mobility, particularly with retreating instead of fighting for all of your heroes that aren't on a mount. And then clan rats and storm vermin get to retreat and charge. So they have extra mobility there everything's like base movement six or better so you're 
already starting on a good movement base, which is especially important when you're retreating so much. You want to have good movement. And then you also get big pluses to runs, big pluses to charges on some things as well. There's holes for teleporting. There's skitterleets for teleporting. There's warp grinder teams for deep striking. There's other units that have endemic deep striking or popping up after deployment, like gutter runners and uh, storm fiends themselves can do it, although you'll probably never see them do it. Uh, and night runners have pregame moves. Kind of every form of mobility they have, every form of generic mobility they have access to in one way or another. And that out of phase movement with retreating instead of fighting can always catch people off guard. It's really particularly good against people who haven't played against Skaven before. And just an attestment to how many rules there are in this book. Whenever I ask someone if they know what Skaven does and if I need to explain it to them, whenever they say, no, I haven't played against it, I'm always just so sad. It's such a list of things you have to go down. And I'm like, you're probably going to remember none of this because there's like 18 different things for you to remember. Yeah. There's like yeah, seven different measurements to keep in mind from a novel. It's a, it's a, it's a hard list. Like when you're talking to your opponent, clearly you don't want to do, I gotcha moments, but there's a lot of things that just don't work the way that you do. And uh, it's just like, like what? It's just like, and you get to it and you're like, okay, you, you need, you need the experience against Skaven before you understand yeah. what it actually does. Before we get into that, Lee, I saw your question. I saw you asked it a few times. no, there was no cronspine in this list. Um, okay. So I'll be honest with you. If you had had a cronspine in this list, I wouldn't have invited you. I think cronspines are boring. <laughs> I'm overlooking at cronspine yeah. lists. Uh, maybe, maybe actually that leads me to a question then. Um, why didn't you take cronspine? It was absolutely a consideration whether I take cronspine or not. My last two GTs that I went to had a cronspine in the list. Um, cause I was playing, yeah, it was a big monster mash with Thankfall, a Wartnaw, Cronspine, and Cannons, and it was getting good results. Even if it went up 80 points, I still could have gotten it to fit. However, it's still good value. It's still good value. Yeah, at 500 it's points. amazing. 480. And particularly against Zinch, when they can bring their endless spell, they auto summon it at the start, and you can run up and chew on it. It won't get dispelled, but you can still go up a level and use the monstrous action to eat it. But it's a very specific matchup that made me not want to take the Cronspine. I knew Gavin was taking uh, Daughters of Cain, which means there's a high chance of the Heart of Fury being in there. Heart of Fury's minus one damage source. Cronspine's damage two on one of his profiles which just craters his output a lot. He's relying on bites only, and bites are too swingy. Um, and then on top of that, I know that Caleb likes to take the uh, Demonic Simulacrum, which is a 7 to cast endless spell. And I cannot take a risk of rolling a 5 or under, because you get plus 2 when you're a level 2 Cronspine, so you need to roll a 6 or better to eat the Simulacrum. And that's just too risky. I can't take that kind of risk. And, in a, and if he took the Cronspine, or even if he didn't take the Cronspine. He has Arcane Suggestion, which is a spell that just neuters the Cronspine so well with minus one to hit and read. So he has really good tools, and as much as I might want to take it, it's kind of shooting myself in the foot going into the Zinch matchup right away. And I'm super glad I didn't, because he took the Cronspine as well. Or he was the only person in the tournament to take a Cronspine, and it was would have been bad news if he just got to 
push our confines together, but then he fed it spell portals the whole time and stayed at max level where his mind wouldn't. And he would have just easily won the Cronspine battle. So I had to look elsewhere. And then the other part was I don't want to take a Cronspine. I took a Cronspine before and <laughs> it didn't feel great. I can do better without it. That's what I wanted to hear. One, it's a crutch. Stop it, kids. Two, it is not the silver bullet for every faction. And when I look at Skaven, I don't think you need it. It's look, my gits need it. Like I, my gloomspite gits, I'm running it because oh, yeah. I, I like I, you know, like there's some cool shenanigans because I don't need to retreat. I need that type of piece, right? But for Skaven, mm -hmm. you don't need it, and it plays a lot against what you want to do. And you also don't want to flood the board with a big tanky model. You want to spread the board with with rubbish and just trade up. You're just constantly trading up with Skaven. Um, question though, uh, a good question from the chat is, would you say that movement trays are required for Skaven? Um, curious what your thoughts are. If you're playing with like 40 or 60 blobs of clan rats, I think very much so because you're really, when you're playing hordes, you really need to build around it. I brought movement trays, but I didn't use them once because every time I deploy my clan rats, they're just spread out way far or compact, super deep. In which case, like, movement trays aren't generally helpful anyways, unless you have the specific ones that place them perfectly in intra-part. But I always end up taking up weird positions with my clan rats anyways, and there was only three units of 20 of them, so it wasn't that bad to not have them in movement trays. I always see using movement trays and think you're kind of tricking yourself into taking non-ideal placements for your models just because it's more convenient. And so you end up making things, even if it's only that tiny bit less efficient, you are being a little bit less efficient. Um, it is worth the trade-off, though, when you have enough models, though, because there is only so much time in a tournament game. So if you're taking a large horde army, I implore you to use it. Even if it is technically less perfect for like model placement, it's just necessary to finish your half of the time in time. And so that's where I would lie is when you probably cross like a hundred clan rats or something, that's when you start using them. I use it a lot with my gits uh, because I'm running gits like the old Skaven. I run 120 to oh, 160 yeah. gits approximately. You're just like stabbers. Um, it's a lot, right? Then I've just got like yeah. Gobapalooza and a bunch of idiot oh, five wound yeah. heroes behind it with Scragrot, right? But I'm flooding the board and... Um, I definitely use them in the early game, turn one, turn two, but I start moving them off because, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. movement trays, while they help speed things up, they do impact the way you look at the board. You're not you know, maximizing your spacing. You're usually crushed up, which means you could be taking up way more um, board presence, You know, tying up objectives. You could be blocking off better. Mm -hmm. So I think once you, once you unlock that, and Skaven doesn't play that way anymore. Skaven doesn't play flood the board with um with with lots of cheap bodies. Not at the moment. Not the 40s and I, 60s. Not the is... not the 40s and 60s. Like sorry, when I say flood the board, I mean you're not doing the yeah. blocks of 40 clan rats like you used to see very commonly. I think when the new GHB comes out, well, that'll definitely become an option again, though. I, I, I think disagree. that is entirely a function of them. Yeah. Because you lost the Battleshock community stuff. Well, there's still a few sources of Battleshock immunity. The Furnace, the Plague Furnace, gives AoE immunity within 13 inches. The 
warp seer gives bravery 10 within 13 inches and then the claw lord can pop his heroic action or just take the warlord trait for if a unit fails a battle shock within three inches they lose d3 models instead of however they would have lost yeah i just think it's so a lot more work options. yeah it's just more work and effort i think yeah, I think it might be more of a specific build at that point where you're trying to DPS check your opponent instead of just being the standard. That's fair. Uh, but I have to ask you, what is your coherency trick that you've created, Saga of Dice asking? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I realized this at one point. So clan rats have an ability that they gained in the new book where when they lose them or at the end of the battle shock phase, if there's any slain models in the unit, they can return D3 slain models to that unit. Um, you can't go over your starting size, obviously, but that's not fine. But what that means is you can spread out as far as you possibly can, where you, which I've done plenty of times when I was at New Mexico, where I have a unit of 20 clan rats that's all one inch apart, then right at the ends you have your bow ties, where they're just within an inch of each other with three models. And you can just keep pulling models and you, you know, as soon as you lose a model, you're breaking coherency, right? Because there's nowhere else that you've not broken, that you're in coherency. But the model check for coherency happens at the end of the turn. And the end of the battle shock is before the end of the turn. It's still in the turn order, which means you'll always, as long as you don't break coherency on both ends of your picket fence, you can always put a, at least one, because you're always going to roll a one on that one D3. You can always fix coherency at that one end that you've broken by putting a model back. So you just got to be careful with how you remove it. And you can always, you're essentially immune to coherency. 4D chess, <laughs> I said it. I said it before. It's 4, 4D chess. Oh. <laughs> I want to bring up your list. I want to talk your list because I think okay. it's good now. Like we we've started talking a little bit about your your process, right? You've picked Skaven. Mm -hmm. You know that Disciples of Zinch is going to be your first game, Caleb. And mm -hmm. I'll I'll share something that you shared with me in the chat. Is you used one of my videos against Caleb? So Caleb, yes. if you're listening to this, <laughs> apologies. Please come back. Uh, but you had used some of the information from other, like getting into the head and like you know mm -hmm. what's popular and what could possibly be used. But hey, like BCP, these are all tournament winners, so you can already see what they've won with, and you know. <laughs> yeah, I also did some BCP scouting, everything as well. <laughs> I didn't expect him to be taking the Kronspine, to be fair. I thought he was going to go for the Zangor list he showed on your uh, channel. I was kind nah. of caught off guard by that, but... <laughs> he, he's been showing, he's that. been showing me his LED Kronspine uh, with a little glowing oh, heart, so yeah. I, I, knew, I knew it was coming. But look, this is the list here, so I'm going to go through the list in case you're listening to this in the podcast later, and I'd love to start yep. to get into the idea of not just what is the list, but how does the list work? But how does the list work in regards to the tournament season, the meta? You know, like what was going through your thought process? Because one of the most exciting things with Skaven is it's a deep book. It's a rich book. You've got mm -hmm. so many things with the clans, right? I can go with Eshen, Mulder. I can go into Scry Up. I can have three clans in one army. I can go all one clan. I could be using Deep Strike, you using with the Eshen stuff, and there's some great models there. I could then tap into the Great Plague. There's so many ideas. I think as a Skaven player and as a newer or intermediate Skaven player, it's really hard to 
to identify what is that right list for me. So I want to kind of get into your headset to go, well, how did you prepare for this tournament mentally? So you got the Vermin Lord Deceiver, the General with the Devious Adversary and the Shadow Magnet Trinket with Flaming Weapon. You've got Thankwill, and this is definitely one I want to hear from because you went, um, so Thankwill gets to choose its weapon loadout. You can either go with more shooty stuff, you can go with more combaty stuff, or you can do a mixture. Most people do all shooty. They do four of the um, the the projectors or the brazier. Which one's the yeah, brazier? Not the not the bra, like a brazier, like a. The brazier is the uh, melee weapon. Yeah. I always forget the two. It's like it's like the four. Like, I always I think about it every time I say it. I just <laughs> remember cool. somebody doing forty-four mortal wounds to my twenty witch elves with Thankwell. Yeah, like that. Oh, that, yeah. that unit that's, was dead. that's the projectors that'll do that. Yeah. Oh man! So you got you got Thankwell, and you've got a definitely a little bit of a different build with Thankwell. Uh, you got the Warlock Engineer with the uh, vial of the Fulminator and the Levitate spell. You've got a Master Molder. Uh, I don't know if he's got a special weapon loadout, but it's a Warpstone tipped lash. Yeah, You've options. three units of ten, so twenty clan rats. Uh, you've got yourself yeah. a giant giant rats. Uh, three warp lightning cannons, and then you have the endless spell launching the soul seeker, which yeah. is basically a thankful. Thankful is basically 450, 65 points because that's yeah. just an auto include. Exactly. Exactly. And you've got bounty hunters, expert conquerors, and command entourage. You've got like a million drops. So, yeah. so take me through this. Like, how does it work? What were you trying to achieve? What were you worried about going into the tournament? And, you know, how do these parts solve? Are they combinations? Like, give me the, the download of this list. So this list has been kind of pieced together over my past five GTs that I've been to. Just kind of, and then a whole bunch of TTS games in between. Or I've been kind of working to mash all these different, or try out all these different pieces see what's good, see what isn't, see what I like, see what I don't. And I ended up, obviously, Thankhall's a pretty good model. He seems uh, pretty decent in even, not just this meta, but in general. But this meta in particular, he's even better with all the endless spells going around. And he was an auto-take when the Purple Sun was running rampant because he was one of the few mages that could actually pick it up reliably. Uh, so Thankhall always had to be in there. Then pause, 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 yeah, pause, sure. pause, 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 pause. Talk to me about Thankwell. Talk to me about yeah. why why he's in the list. Talk to me about mm -hmm. why he's so good. And talk to me about why you did the split weapon profile, because most people go all in on the shooting attack as opposed to having a split. So the Thankwell's in there because he operates in a lot of phases. The one GTA I went to without Thankful in it, I really felt it. Because when you... Because I can't be a peasant casting normally with no pluses or only a plus one. This is garbage. I can't handle that. I need my plus four for my spells to just happen. I recently I had a plus five. I recently had a plus oh, five where, thank, where yeah. Thankful, Thankful's base could be in between a null hole and an arcane terrain. Oh, yeah. A, pl oh, a plus five to that. cast... It's just like, right. <laughs> yep. Oh, that forest with arcane is all close to the board edge. Hey, well, that, dissolve, that decides that for me. 
don't mind if I do. But yeah, the the casting is where he starts. That's where you want to get. That's because he's unique in that. The Screaming Bell is the only other high plus to cast. He's plus two to cast, but he's really falls short in every other department. Um, and that's another discussion entirely. But because the Screaming Bell's garbage, Thankhole's really the only reliable huge plus to cast. And then the fact that it applies to Unbinds means that it'll mess up the most important spells your opponent has, which when 3.0 came out, there wasn't a lot of this is the most important spells out in the game, but I feel like that's returned a bit. Mindraiser mm. for Daughters, Arcane Suggestion for Zinch, or Infernal Gateway for Zinch, which is the Lord of Change one that does average six mortal wounds. Um, and then any other faction. There's other uh, Comets Call for Seraphon, I'd say, etc., etc. So he has big spells that he wants to be stopping from the opponent a lot of the time. And then he just does all the extra on top of it. He heals D3 at the end of every combat phase, which is so punishing if your opponent can't pick him up in one go, which you can play around with Mystic Shields and Finest Hours. You can prepare for him to not die. And if he doesn't, he's really hard to, uh, what's the word, get to seven or more wounds so his uh, profile scales down because he'll just start healing it back. So you really have to hit him really low. And even then, he'll just run away start healing, maybe throw in some heroic heals there. Bravery 7 is still doable. Uh, so he's really difficult to deal with if you can't kill him in one go. And then he has the warp fire projectors. This is the thing that everybody takes. It's The way it works is it's an 8-inch range shooting weapon. You pick an enemy unit within 8 inches, and you roll X dice per model within 8 inches from that unit. So say you have the Witch Elves, there's 10 of them, but I'm only within range of 8 of them. Uh, so eight of them are within eight inches. Then I roll X dice, where X is the number of warp fire projectors he's armed with. He has four arms, so he can have up to four warp fire projectors. Which means, in theory, if I'm in range of, you know, ten melee snakes from daughters, that could be 40 dice. Each four plus is a mortal wound. So on average, I'm doing two mortals per model within range. That's the really tasty part that people see. And the really nasty combo with that is Laoshan the Soul Seeker moves 18. Then he can move his 10 inches on top of that. So he has to finish outside of 9 when he hops out of the boat. But he can just walk right up to outside of 3, get everybody in range. And, and that, I, want, I, want, I, want, I want to call that out. That, that's, that's the important mm -hmm. part, right? Because when Thankful uses, let's say, free, or any, any army, when they deep strike mm -hmm. or teleport, you stay outside of nine. So being able yeah. to being able to use your warp fire projectors through the null hole um, onto an enemy is not a good strategy because you're not going to get in range and you're not going to be able yeah. to do what you need to do. But mm -hmm. because the the endless spell Lolchen allows you to move after you've teleported, okay. that then lets you get into range. It allows you to charge. It allows you to do you know shoot a lot. That's the combination yeah. for anyone who hasn't seen this before. And what makes this so deadly and probably probably a little too cheap in my opinion. I, I think I could definitely <laughs> see this going up slightly. Or Lolchen stop not letting you move after um, the teleport. It's very rare that you see a teleport yeah, and move. I would expect like a monster keywords can't move after using it because I feel like it's fine if it's just little foot heroes. 
but that's a separate thing. We're talking about Thankwell here. Uh, no, no, but just, like, just, just, just like if people thinking about this going, oh, I don't own a Thankwell and, you know, they're going to spend a lot of money, just know that, the, you know, there right. is a risk that that could break at some point. Yeah, that's true. It's not a, it's not guaranteed forever. Um, but yeah, four warp fire projectors is the one everybody takes because it will just pick up units. Against Night Haunt, it, he can almost auto-win you the game on his own. Because even though they can discorporate for a five-up board, if you're doing two mortals per average, the, your discorporate is pointless. He's still going to do more mortals than you're going to be able to save on average. Um, but the reason I don't like four warp fire projectors is a number of things. Two is still enough to, on average, pop a one wound unit per model. So 10 Witch Elves, well, Witch Elves are technically a bad example because they do have a ward save, but if there's 10 Witch Elves, you're doing 10 mortals on average. So, like, maybe one or two lives on that six-up ward. There's, but the big thing that your opponent can do about it is they can redeploy. You walk up to outside of three, if they get a five or higher on their redeploy, they can just completely leave the Warpfire projector range and just nullify that entirely. What you need to do at that point is you need geminids or you need some way to move block or prevent them from redeploying or just hope they roll low on the redeploy if you're taking four export fire projectors because if you don't if they can get out of range then he's that's it he's done his cast he can't shoot he's not getting any more value really um but with two warp fire projectors you're still forcing that redeploy threat they still have to respect you there's like even if it's a two wound unit or night hunt that's discorporated they're going to see their 20 blade guys fragments and be like, I don't want to take 10 mortal wounds, even if I can avoid it. Even if it's not 40, I still don't want to take 10 mortal wounds or 20 mortal wounds. So I'm going to redeploy. You're still forcing that redeploy out of the way. Furthermore, if they're going to charge you, you're still forcing them to worry about unleash hell when you can unleash hell and do that shooting again. So it forces the same threats and respect out of your opponent. But what it does in addition is it gives you a melee profile that's actually respectable. And <clears throat> that can synergize in many ways. Uh, can, I just, with, can I just pause yeah, you for you a know? second here? No, no, no. I just want to pause you out here because mm -hmm. um, all of my experience so far has been thankful with all shooting profiles. Everyone runs four mm -hmm. of the projectors, which burninates. It burninates heaps, yeah. right? And as, a, mm -hmm. as an opponent... Um, I, uh, what I like to think is a smart opponent is I know it's coming, right? Mm -hmm. So there's mm -hmm. been times in my Stormcast list, for example, where I've had a 19 Cantor that has the staff that just goes, no spell for you. And that's been my only counter mm -hmm. to launch in, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm never going to beat mm -hmm. plus four, plus five, um, plus three yeah. natively, plus one from the Nile hole where he normally always starts. Mm -hmm. If you got Arcane, even better, plus five. Can't beat it. Very rarely mm -hmm. can anyone beat that without an auto unbind. So Put that yeah. to the side. If I don't have an auto unbind or I fail the unbind, I know it's coming. I know that the boat is coming with mm -hmm. Thankwill. Thankwill's coming in range. He's going to move up. He's going to burninate something. So the best thing I can yeah. do at deployment is uh, know that it's coming. Try to sacrifice something that uh, can burninate and then, then mm -hmm. respond. Avoid the things that are going to respond. Mm -hmm. And from my experience, I have never felt Thankwill is that good. Because mm. once he does the burnination, I can normally lift him that turn, the responding turn. 
Yeah. I've lifted every time I play Thankful, I've lifted him after like turn two. Turn two maximum, he's gone. Mm-hmm. But, but, but when he has mm-hmm. a combat threat, because I found once I get into combat, he doesn't do a lot. It's always just the burnination. Oh, so bad. Yeah. But when you start adding the weapon profile and you bring in some melee, I mm-hmm. think that's when he becomes a much more well rounded profile. Yes. So. To explain that, the Warfire Braziers is a profile of threes to hit, threes to wound, rend two, damage three. So it's definitely no pushover. An all-out attack can get you to twos, a finest hour can get you to twos to wound. Um, and you get two attacks per arm that's uh, armed with the Warfire Braziers. So here I have two Warfire Braziers, therefore I have four attacks. Three up, three up, rend two, damage three. That changes so much. The few times that I've played all Warpfire Projector Thankful, after I charge him into combat, the rest of his profiles is effectively eight attacks on a four up, three up, rend one, damage two, two of them are at damage D3, but that's an average of two. So it's all just fours and threes. So at best it can get to like threes and threes. It's rend one and damage two. It falls, it pillow fists so much of the time because it's unreliable to hit. And it doesn't even do that much damage if you can get it through. But adding in the extra Ren 2 damage 3, it changes everything. So many times I've been in combat with him and I've swung with the staff and his crushing blows. And I'm like, okay, I got like one through. And then I do yeah. my warp fire braziers and I pick up the unit. I'm like, there's nine more damage. Okay, that actually clears it out. And that I just changed so much. Yeah, I just find when he's loaded with all four shooting profiles, it's either you burninate what you need to burninate, and then when he's in combat, he is just grinding out with, is it the five-up ward? He's got, has he got a native five-up ward? Yeah, he has yeah. a four-up armor five-up ward. So you're safe stacking with, like, you know, all that defense, mystic shield, uh, mm-hmm. finest hour, and I find Thankful just grinds. He's just like, I'm going to pin you in, I'm going to stop you in your combat z- your deployment zone and stop you from getting where you want to go and delay you a turn or two. But with the two extra weapon profiles, look, if we go into, and we know Gits and Beasts of Chaos are coming pretty soon, we've seen Nighthaunt, obviously, in the meta. If we start to see the next generals, and the reason I'm challenging or questioning you on this is that we are on the cusp of a new GBH. So we could probably see yeah. bounty hunters disappear, G- GVs might disappear, and that might start seeing people go back into hordes. It also might go back into a monster meta. We don't know. So think about your profiles. Think about what you're trying to achieve. I do think this mix of two and two gives me much more versatility. And I often find the four is overkill. That's just me personally speaking. Yeah. And the few things I want to say is it enables you to do other things. Like you can walk up to a screen, burninate it with your two projectors and then charge whatever's behind, like a hero or something and punch them reliably to death. So you get these more options. And then on top of that, Having a combat threat means you're now operating in three phases instead of two. So this model that you're paying 465 points for and tossing in with Laoshan and everything, he's operating in the hero phase, the enemy's hero phase. Uh, He's operating in shooting, and now he's actually doing good work in combat. And so I find that's really valuable when you can combo hit something with the deceiver or you're just actually doing something in more than two phases and you're just getting all the more value out of them look there's arguments and I, and 
there's some good discussion in the chat. Uh, first off, I just want to shout out um, NBC. Um, thank you for the donation of um, of, of bits. But also, uh, I, I do want to call out his comment earlier or their comment earlier that as a new uh, AOS and Skaven player, you know, your discussions and your interviews have been very helpful. So I do want to call that out. And um, you have been very insightful on Saga of Dice as well. So when I've, when I've heard you out. The other thing I want to call out is, you know, people in the chat, uh, and I'd have a sip of drink, but um, there is argument to have the four. And I'm not saying that the four is a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. Um, because, you know, four of the warp fire projectors are great for Unleash Hell. They're great to burninate at certain things. But in, in my experience in the last six months, my army has been reducing GVs as much as possible. And I've been going elite Stormcast. So I've been going five squad units cool you kill 100 points of idiots i don't care i've got lots of other msu units around the board but if i played my actually even with my gits actually like I, I lifted him with with 60 stabbers um because i can sacrifice a unit of of 20 grots and sure mm -hmm. but i'm going to trade up in response but there is arguments of of, of having the four i just want to call out there is an alternative two and two mm-hmm yeah, so I think if you have to push the meta heavier towards hordes for for me to take it, I just find the combat threat is too valuable. And even if they do redeploy it and it's a tough charge, at least you have the option of charging and getting into combat. Because before, you just wouldn't take that option because he's going to do nothing in combat, and now he's overextending even further. And I also find that... Things that you would need four warp fire projectors to kill over two, you can probably kill with two warp fire projectors and a full melee attack as well. Mm. So it's like 90% efficient for the things you want to go after anyways. Yeah, it, ju it just gives you more threats across the board. I think as some Norwegian dude mentioned, you know, it depends on the matchups. And I think that's why I don't like the four. I prefer to have, I'm a utility player. So I like to have tools for every situation. Mm -hmm. um, the two and two is, you know, they, they believe is the best option. Look, you do you, you build, you want to build four yeah. uh, combat, four shooty, bit of both. But mm -hmm. I, I, want, I wanted to just call that out, the thinking there, because that certainly is different. Mm -hmm. um, let's get back into the list, right? So you've got Death Frenzy as well, such a staple spell, right? Mm -hmm. The casting value of seven. We already know Thankful's a great caster. Um, mm -hmm. who, who's, a great, who's a great candidate to receive Death Frenzy? Death Frenzy is there purely for the giant rats. The clan rats are, will not utilize it. They're one attack, four up, four up, run nothing, damage one. They do nothing. It's the giant rats that entirely use it because Death Frenzy can't go on heroes. It has to go onto one of those units. I'm not going to Death Frenzy a cannon. <laughs> it's even worse than clan rats. But it's just there for giant rats because giant rats need the fight on death to get their maximum value. And a plus three or plus four to cast makes it all the more reliable, which is super helpful. So talk to me about giant rats because on on its surface, like if you just looked, because I I haven't seen giant rats for for a long time. I think partially because it's really hard to buy a bunch of giant rats. I think they they, they tied into a bunch of other kits and it, without a three D printer, which is challenging at a GW event, um, it's hard to get enough giant rats. Yeah, so giant rats is a thing that. Ever since the book came out, people have been aware of. I am by no means the first person to have come up with the idea of giant rats. But I did come up with the idea on my own when I thought of the idea. 
giant rats plus bounty hunters. So normally giant rats are 60 points for six of them. And you can reinforce them, obviously. That's what the master mold, one of the jobs the master molder is doing there is he's allowing the giant rats to be battle line so I can double reinforce them and take 18 of them. Giant rats are two attacks on a four up, four up, rend nothing, damage one. Whatever. Which is basically, no, but like that, that would be like you initially look at that profile and go 60 points, six wounds, 12 attacks, fours no and fours, no, no, no rend for one damage, no armor save, bravery three, move eight. <laughs> and you at its profile there, just pause for a second. That's garbage. Mm -hmm. You're like, why on earth would anyone oh, yeah. ever pick giant rats? That's a screen at mm -hmm. best, but even then I'll screen with clan rats. Please continue. Right. Yeah, and so it's very unassuming, and then their models are very unassuming, but they're, they have a few things going for them. One, there's ability. I forget what it is. The seeding. Uh, wa the wave of, wave, of, wave of rats. Wave of rats, that's what it is. If there's six or more models in this unit, they get rend two. <laughs> okay, that's a bit of a jump from rend nothing. Yeah, in a meta where under guts makes rend one to rend two on lead belchers actually good, rend two on giant rats suddenly makes them an insane threat. And if there's five or less, if there's three to five, they're rend one. And if there's one or two in the unit, they're rend nothing. But yes, correct. it's yeah. the rent 2 we care about. It's the rent 2 we care about. So in addition to that, they also have the generic Skaven ability. If there's 10, for each 10 in the unit, or 10 models in you, you get one inch extra on your range, which when you're on a 25 millimeter base, means you can fight three ranks deep. Three, as long as they're all base to base and you have a two inch reach, you can fight three ranks deep. Currently, mm -hmm. currently. Just want to call that out currently. because of Bonds oh, of yeah. Battle. So bonds of battle. So oh, uh, that has actually to do with bonds of battle. Oh, yeah. So because a twenty-five oh. mil base is yeah, yeah, less yeah, than an yeah. inch, yeah, that two yeah. inches will reach over the length of two bases. Yeah. So, yes, on twenty-five. It's, it's been a while since I played my Cities of Sigma on twenty-five. Yeah, yes, twenty-fives can do one inch. Can do two if you position them correctly. Yes, you can get two two mm -hmm. models attacking on twenty-fives. Then if you extend the range by one, you can do three. Yes, my spears back in the day when I tried mm -hmm. spears. Yes, you absolutely can fight in three ranks. Good call out. A um, couple of quick yeah. questions though before you move into the the sexy part, which I know you're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, just what this is a battle line question just for the discussion because it would be it would be easy to go minimum battle line and go more into mm -hmm. other things is, is there any reason why you still kept the clan rats as well as the giant rats to have four so, battle line options yeah. in the gv meta yeah that's a good point giant rats need to be battle line so they can be double reinforced so that's fixed but i don't like one or two units of clan rats there's a very important reason to have, I find, at least three clan rats, and that's because they're supposed to be doubling up as both screens and objective cappers. They, they're supposed to die, but they're also supposed to live throughout the rest of the game to hold objectives. And if you have two or less units of clan rats, then they can't carry out that job effectively. They're going to be the screen, they're going to die, and then you have no bodies left. So I find you need at least three units of clan rats and Expert Conquerors is what really takes them to the next level of being that additional threat of uh, objective cappers. 
when even three clan rats is nine bodies on an objective, plus you're gonna like, you know, if your opponent kills you down to two clan rats, that's still six bodies, plus D3 more models are being revived. So you have to wipe out the unit fully, otherwise they're probably gonna hold on to that objective no matter what. And so the reason I have three units of clan rats is because I need enough of them that I can still have one or two of them die and then still be able to just almost nigh guarantee hold on to objectives. And the two games so, I did lose at New Mexico were the games where all my clan rats died. Fascinating. Fascinating that it was the clan rats that are your MVPs. But yeah, I do this this leads me into what you're gonna talk about, which was the other thing with the giant rats, right? So we know that they're battle lines, so you can double reinforce them. We now know that when they're in units of six or more, they get ren two, three to five is ren one. Yeah cool they're doing fours and fours damage one here's the sweetener mm -hmm. and then i'm going to ask you a question about that sweetener okay for sure so the bounty hunters is the big double their effectiveness so if you can hit a screen that means you're almost guaranteed to pick it up with the double the damage and just the weight of attacks run two damage two will kill liberators it'll kill witch elves it'll kill Saurus Guard, probably. Oh, Saurus Guard with minus one damage. That's a bit of a <laughs> iffy question. I would still trust in them to do it with the number of attacks they dump. Um, the big value, it's, it is entirely, this unit is entirely encompassed in just layering benefits one on top of another. You have Ren 2 if there's 6 or more, 2-inch reach if there's 10 or more, which does matter a lot because that means you can take up a very small surface area to squeeze into areas that are just left open. Bounty Hunters means you can go after big units and still be reliable. And even then, you don't even need to go after units. Like, uh, fully buffed Giant Rats will D-level a Kronzman. Um, but yeah, I get to get back to it. it was Ren 2 is the first layer. GV is another layer. Uh, Death Frenzy is another layer. So because they have no armor save, Bravery 3, I think they're the squishiest unit in the game. But that can be weaponized with Death Frenzy. You stick Death Frenzy on them, they fight on death. As long as they get to fight as your first pick, your opponent has to fight back. They kill however many because they're the easiest thing in the game to kill. And then they just hit you again. So they can layer on all of that damage at Ren 2 and then most of it again. Once you get to five or less models, you're... Uh, Ren starts degrading because you're removing one model at a time and fighting one at a time, technically. That's minutia. But they get something like 72 attacks if a full 18 unit is killed entirely. And if you're in GV and you're hitting a, ba a battle line thing, they're going to die. If you're hitting a non-GV thing, that's how you pop like a Cronspine level. As long as they fight twice effectively with the first death and then fight on death, they can pull down a Cronspine level or most of a Magma draw. They're going to more than capable take out a screen and D-level Merapi. Something like that, right? Well, um, and then the good, last part. good segue, good segue, because Eldarian asking, mm -hmm. was Death giant, death Frenzy Giant Rats into Merapi during the shooting phase something that you came up with in testing, or did you think about that on the fly? So... <laughs> Yeah, this is another fun thing about Death Frenzy. Unlike most other fight on deaths in the game, it is in any phase. It's not in the combat phase or anything. If they die, they can pile in an attack. They don't have to be in combat. They don't have to do it in the combat phase. They just do it. 
And so against my game against Grav and Grygar, um, he hero phase shot me with his bow snakes. And I had a bunch of rats that were outside of three of Marathi, but right next to her. And they just piled in. They still have to stay in coherency as far as I'm aware with the rules. So I only got a number of them in, but they can pile in and hit her. That rule is something I have thought of before. I know that they're capable of being this threat. I've done it against other people before where they kill something and then they're just outside of three and they're like, shoot me, do it, I dare you. Then they pile in, like, not even to the thing shooting them, but they pile in sideways and hit a support hero that was accidentally too close and they can kill that hero. But in that specific game, I didn't even realize that I could do that until we're like hero phase, he declares he's shooting at giant rats. And I'm like, oh, I forgot. Yeah, I'm just gonna go after Marathi here. That seems like fun. Don't mind if I do. I only got one damage total on him from that, but he ended up, I don't know if that ended up making him need to charge into the warp lightning cannons later because I did take a free damage and maybe he wanted to max value. But yeah, that's definitely something that you want to be keeping an eye out for. Death Frenzy is such a weird, nasty fight on death rule that you can end up doing weird things like that with them. Is there any other units uh, that... Is there any other units that you really like Death Frenzy on just as a spell? Because it is a sexy spell. And yes. you think about some of the things that happen in the shooting phase. You think about like Nurgle who can counter charge with the Glotkin. Some units can charge in the combat phase. Sorry, no, the combat phase, the hero mm -hmm. phase. Um, there are so many out of sequences. And you're right. Like, for example, I'll fight um, Fire Slayers and you know, they do a lot of splashback mortal wounds, but it only happens in the combat phase. So I'll often try to do as much damage to them. Like I'll, you know, use my annihilators and, and try to kill them and take damage in the charge phase to avoid those rules. And Gracie, I mentioning earlier, and I did get to watch some of your games on the GW stream, <laughs> watching giant rats almost kill Bastion. Oh. I, like, I, and I mentioned it earlier, Skaven is great at trading up. That's what you do. Mm -hmm. You flood the board, you deny your opponent, but you trade up. The things that your giant rats, your clan rats, your master molder, like you pay 90 points for master molder, but the value mm -hmm. you get from him, from rat ogres or for giant rats, supersedes 90 points. Like it's so good. And that's where the warp lightning cannons, and I can't wait to talk to you about mm -hmm. warp lightning cannons. Like I look at that, it's, it's the, the damage that they those do far destroys annihilators not annihilators um long strikes um even mm -hmm. with the holy command you do more damage than long strikes <laughs> and you pay less for it yeah and so that kind of brings up the other point you do a lot of damage especially into gv you can hit super hard fight on death means you can do even more damage all these great things so what that's melee you need to get there and that's where the Master Molder comes in. We're not even done talking about the layers of buffs here. No. So the Master Molder, at the start of the movement phase, can pick a Molder keyword that isn't himself, and he can whip them to give them plus three to run rolls, plus three to charge rolls, and plus one to wound in melee. So now there are two attacks a model, four up, three up, if you can manage an all-out attack, three up, three up, rend two, maybe damage two, and if you kill them, they do it again to you. And now they can get a plus three to charge. And so that's their delivery mechanism. They can't hit things behind the screen, but that's not their job. Their job is to hit the screen. 
and then let my big monsters hit whatever's behind the screen. Then they're, so they have two modes of getting to that screen. Their movement eight base, which is pretty high. That's pretty dang good. So in some scenarios, like an 18 apart start, you can just move up eight. You need to make a 10 inch charge if they're on the line as well. But with a plus three, that's a seven. You can do that. Or you're jumping through a knot hole. You're outside of nine of their thing because you went through the knot hole. That nine inch charge becomes a six inch charge because you're winning and now you're in. So they have a really fairly reliable delivery mechanism on top of all of it. And then it doesn't yeah, even end there. Oh, wait, wait, stop, stop, stop. Because I was about to say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more. If you order one, you need a giant rats. Get the second one on a three up for only one CP more because the master molder has a command ability for a molder unit when they die in completely in that phase, you can immediately spend the command point from that master molder and roll a dice on a three up. You set up a new unit of giant rats identical to the one that was destroyed. So you get 18 more wholly within 12 of the uh, master molder. So they can die anywhere on the board. You don't care as long as you have a CP. You can try for a three up, set them up wholly within 12, which by definition means they're within range to be whipped in your next movement phase to be sent out to do it all over again. Right. Uh, that That is liberating because it means that you can be, like they're very fragile, right? You know, bravery three, mm -hmm. no armor save. Nope. They can go in and do some serious damage and trade up, as I said. And then when they die, if they die, when they die, you can then on yeah. a three up, it's not like you've got one attempt. You can keep attempting to do it. So you sp you keep that. I uh, know it is one attempt. Oh, is it? It is one attempt. Uh... Yeah, a replaced unit can't be replaced more than once, and you can't get multiple shots at replacing one unit. Oh, so if I fail, if I fail my first attempt to bring back the giant rats, I can't roll the three up again to no, try, try to bring back. It. Ah, okay. which is fine actually. I only ended up reviving the unit once the entire tournament in New Mexico. Most of the time, I just didn't have the CP spare, whether I forgot or there was more important places to be using it at the time, but I just didn't revive them. And that's okay, because even I can be trading down with 180 points and a 90-point Master Molder going in, but if I've cleared out your screens and now you're vulnerable, I'm happy to spend 270 points doing that reliably from far away without committing anything. I'll clear out your screen, and then in the following turns, without a screen, now I can hit whatever I darn well feel like. Yeah. And so that's their main job. <laughs> but if I get that three up, or I have the CP, and I do get the three up, then great, I can do it again. That just gives me another threat. So because it's on a three up, you can do this with Rat Ogres 2 for Skaven. Yeah. I don't like building around it, but I like it when you can take Molder stuff, and you can just you have a chance because a three up is still a huge threat that your opponent has to worry about or can't, you know, just accept that it isn't going to happen. There's a decent chance that's going to happen. And so your opponent has to respect it where you can just be like, it's okay. That's what the clan rats are for. If the giant rats can't come back and I still generally have enough punch to make it through anyways. So it's a fun little bonus if I can get them to revive, but it's by no means mandatory. And as you mentioned as well, it does work with Rad Ogres. I had a game recently where mm -hmm. I got into combat with both Rad Ogres and the Master Molder. So I charged my mm -hmm. my Stormcast Chariot into the Master Molder. I put my Stormcast Dragons into the Rad Ogres. 
and I was stuck with a tough choice. Do I fight with the chariot first and try to kill the master boulder? Or do I do the rat ogres who I thought who were buffed up at the time were going to punch my dragons? Mm-hmm. So I went the dragons first. And and then the chariot, um, the master molder fled for, and I'm like, damn it! And then he yeah. rolled the three up, and the red ogres were back. I'm like, damn it! No, he <laughs> just walked away and punished you so hard. It was so, but but again, oh, this man. is the 40 chess that I'm talking about. Is you play a game that's very different, and you're thinking about very different things, and you can trade up, mm-hmm. you can lose units, and they come back almost like a death style. But you can, you know, you're regenerating with clan rats. You can bring mm-hmm. back certain things. I think. Um, that's the exciting part of Skaven. And Gwenda making a really good question is, you know, they've been testing 10 Scryer Acolytes. Have you considered those in or in place of the giant rats? Because Acolytes are good, but they are the definition. When you open up Webster's Dictionary and you look up Glass Cannon, they are definitely up there with, like, the picture of what a Glass Cannon looks like. Yeah, so they're technically tankier than giant rats. I... I'm so torn and on the line about Squire Acolytes. They, with a Warp Spark token for plus one damage, can hit way harder than they should ever be allowed to. 75 points killing like a 10 wound unit just because they decided to run up and shoot at them because they can run and shoot. They're like, why is that ever allowed? 10 of them will de-level a Kron Spine. It does so much. But... Because they do that much damage, and they are 6-up armor save, bravery 4, any little bit of shooting into them, now they're a point sink where they need to eat up uh, inspiring presences so they don't run away because they're bravery 4, or they just die outright because it's really not that hard to accidentally kill things with a 6-up armor. Unleash Hell, perfect example of that. It's just like, okay, cool, make sure I unleash Hell and the unit value just gets diminished. Yeah. They're, and as soon as they take a little bit of damage, like a 10-man that's taken four wounds goes down to six, or like a five-man that's taken two or three wounds, their damage just drops so quickly, and it can, and there's so many things that can drop it because they're so squishy. Mortal wounds from spells will do it as well. And so if you can get them used right, they can get so much work done. So much more than they're supposed to be getting done. But that's the problem, is if there's any incidental shooting your opponent has from any source, if it goes into them, then they're just, then they're gone. So I really want them to be good, and I wouldn't mind swapping out the Giant Rats and Master Molder piece. Like, that's 270 points plus the 5 points spare in the list, the 275 points. That's kind of stuff that I would work around with. I'm not shackled to the giant rat strategy i wouldn't mind trying out like more units of scryer acolytes to try and go for that and to that end i feel like five mans of scryer acolytes more than 10 or 15s is probably better that's, yes that's all of attack is really nice but the only way to give them any defensive value is to split them up so your opponent can't just pick up the unit that easily and that's been probably where I've seen them use most successfully is multiple units of five mm-hmm. as opposed to a reinforced or a double reinforced because having multiples, yeah, I can unleash hell in one area, but it means two other units if you charge at the same time are getting in without worrying about, you know, having to soak mm-hmm. up an, in, uh, an unleash hell. So um, yeah. I, I do like that strategy a lot. 
Um, but I do want to yeah. ask you before we move into like the warp lightning cannons and a few other questions I have around the list and maybe also why certain things aren't in the list. You know, perfect example is mm -hmm. there is no um, storm fiends. Uh, you know, there mm. are certain mm. things that you don't have in this list that are very traditional. Um, and I want to hear your thoughts as well on the, the doom wheel. I love my doom wheel. The minute yes. the doom wheels can get into the meta, I'm in. I'm in. I'm a Skaven player. The minute doom wheels are decent. Then life is a highway, especially your opponent's models. <laughs> it's just like playing with an army army of, of Gitz fanatics. I Just too no, good. I can see that. But the but the, the the elephant in the room for me is that you've got giant yep. rats that are bounty hunters. You have clan rats that are expert conquerors. And again, I've talked about mm -hmm. this, the cusp of the general's handbook. We you know we we haven't seen rules transfer between GBHs to GBHs, right? So there is a yeah. high likelihood that bounty hunters is gone, expert conquerors is oh, gone, sure. bonds of battle is gone, GVs are mm -hmm. gone. So looking forward into the future, right? How does the value of clan rats in ex, you know without expert conquerors and giant rats without um, bounty hunters? Is that something that you would still consider? And obviously, we don't know what the GBH is going to incentivize. Put that to the side. Mm -hmm. Is is there value tied to expert conquerors and bounty hunters, or how does that impact you yes. when you lose them? Clan rats are here. They're getting a lot of value from the expert conquerors. I feel like the meta has done this interesting progression where people initially it comes out and so you know big units are taken and then people figure out the bounty hunters is really good and then big units are bad so nobody ever takes giant units and therefore bounty hunters kind of settles down a bit because you would rather go for low drops than go for particularly large bounty hunter units. And therefore, you can kind of start getting away with min squads of battle line in Expert Conquerors to try and, like, you know, if your opponent doesn't have, or even if they do have really big units as bounty hunter hunters, like six or nine bugs from Sylvanath or ten melee snakes in bounty hunters, those things are going to be killing 20 clan rats, bounty hunters are not. And mm. so the idea with the min squads, and this is, you know, fairly general concept is you want to spread out with minimum sized units so that they're wasting resources putting their big unit into your min size squad just because they're bounty hunters and they want to get the value out of that. The expert conquerors part is that two piece. It means that my clan rats, which are normally just screens and bodies, they keep deep strikers out, they go in the front to eat a charge. It means that they can do their second half of their job of holding objectives with their body count they can actually do that nigh unstoppably. And it means that if your opponent can't kill them entirely, you can inspiring presence them, and then because they're regenerating D3, like I said, they'll hold an objective. That's where they're getting a lot of value. I'm curious to try out min squads of clan rats without expert conquerors, because I don't think it's awful. There's going to be more situations where they're dropping out objectives because they're not in expert conquerors, but I don't think this style of using clan rats is necessarily in unusable anymore. I do think bigger hordes of clan rats is what I'm going to be trying out instead. I'll have to actually see what it's like, but I think there's definitely more credence to just taking more bodies to try and fill out that role instead. And then they switch roles from being a screen to actually just being 
a mass of wounds saying you need to do this many wounds to get this objective um the bounty hunters hurts the giant rats a lot and the only reason that one unit of clan rats is in bounty hunters and not expert conquerors is just because you need a minimum two things to be in bounty hunters so i needed that one unit that's fine that just means that bounty hunter clan rat unit is the one that's screening everything else that's the one most likely to die uh, the giant rats lose out a lot of value. I become I struggle to find a lot more reliability in their without bounty hunters. But if monsters become big, giant rats are still very helpful because when they can hit something really hard, and then that thing can still hit them back really hard, therefore triggering death frenzy really effectively. That's when they still get their value. Sans bounty hunters, so they want to hit things that are really really big. And that'll be anything from monsters to really big units anyways, where you're just going to get effectively two fights. And that gets you enough attacks to get the value anyways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks for your thoughts. And I know, again, we don't know what the GBH is going to bring and what the incentives are. But I did want to think about, again, like the minute I saw you do really well with uh, giant rats in with the list, mm -hmm. And obviously bounty hunters. And I saw a lot of excitement in my discord talking about the bounty hunter rats. Mm. I knew that, you know, obviously you got to remember folks that this is coming to an end. So if you don't already mm -hmm. own the giant rats, if you don't already own it, do I go out to games workshop and ask Santa Claus, can you bring me 200 giant clan rats? Sorry, giant rats. And the answer is no. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, like I would probably wait to see what the new GBH brings, you know, is there a way to buff up giant rats? It sounds like if you're taking giant rats into the future and future editions, you know, you're definitely tapping into the three up, bring them back. You're bringing up with the, the, the mm -hmm. rend minus two, um, Obviously, some of the synergies are the yeah. plus three movement stuff, but you obviously lose the double damage with bounty hunters. But also, I guess the the, the flip side of that is you're losing GVs. So your giant, your, your clan rats are not, and your giant rats, they're not dying extra because you're you're, you're getting attacked by bounty hunters. So the clan rats yeah. might be a little bit more durable. Yes, they lose expert conquerors, but they might f appear to be more durable. So. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Some considerations. So, and as you said, you might go on. Yeah. There's just more bodies to hold objectives with at that point. If there's no bounty hunters. Yeah. It's, it really is something that you can't call right now. You'd have to really just play with it and see how it changes over time. It's hard to predict basically. I, I just wanted to take advantage of your thoughts leading into the GBH. Mm -hmm. That was all. Like I knew we wouldn't be able to predict because we don't know, so it's hard to say. But at least it's uh, – no, 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 they still got really good value, 180 points, even without bounty hunters because I wasn't a fighting bounty hunters. I was going into monsters. I was going into elite troops. And I was – you know, mm -hmm. like for me, the role actually – the Ren 2 is enough because I got a lot of mortal wounds. But if I'm going up against, I don't know, heroes or whatever, like I can – just doing up chip damage with the high rand fight on death that actually mm -hmm. they're still incredibly value even outside of bounty hunters as a thought. Yeah. I'd say it would reduce their effectiveness by about like 30%. So it's not enough to make them untakeable. You just have to be more careful with how you, with when and where you can take them in lists. All right. Now we get to the most exciting part and I exciting is because I hate them. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I hate them because uh, I mentioned earlier I was playing Stormcast this season. I've now swapped out to Gargans because King Brod is back and I'm a gar- I'm a Destro boy by heart, I've realized. Yeah. But I've been playing a lot of Hammers of Sigma. And Hammers of Sigma's one special ability is they get a six-up ward on an ob- within 12 of an objective, which sounds sexy. Mm-hmm. But there are so many battle plans where you've got to activate objectives at a time and like none are active. I'm like, so I'm not getting allegiance abilities. And it seems like every time I play Skaven, it's always on, I've forgotten the battle plan, where there's one objective that you have to activate in turn one. It's always in the center. So I've got no objectives in my deployment zone. I come up against Skaven with three lightning cannons as well as like a bunch of like weapons teams, Gisales. And like, I just get pew pewed off the board. Uh, or at least my my sexy things get pew pewed off the board. Warp lightning cannons, 150 points, artilleries. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it does drag your drops out because you can't put them into traditional mm-hmm. um, uh, battalions very easily. And yeah. they have a really interesting rule. So you, you take them for, mm-hmm. is it the warp lightning blast, where basically there is no hit and wound mm-hmm. profile. You roll a dice. Yeah. And yes. that is the power level or i don't know how you how you describe mm-hmm. it but basically so what you you roll one dice and if i roll a three i then get to roll mm-hmm. a bunch of dice and for every three plus six dice. in that six dice in that sequence mm-hmm. it would be mortal wounds so yeah if that first more. dice if that first dice is a really high number it's a crap roll mm-hmm. if i roll yeah. really low if i roll like a two really good mm-hmm. for roller one yeah. it's just flat six mortal wounds yes so because it isn't a hit roll or a wound roll or a save roll ones don't auto fail therefore if you roll a power level one you just do six or 12 mortal wounds because the other part of the ability is when it goes to shoot whether it's shooting phase or charge phase like with an unleash health if there's a warlock engineer within three inches of that cannon that's about to shoot it can supercharge it and you still roll your one power dice as normal, but you roll 12 dice instead of six. Each whatever up on your power dice for those 12 dice is immortal, but each one you roll is D3 as well. So if you roll a one on a supercharged cannon, that's 12 mortals, just 12 mortals. You also have to roll the dice to see how many ones you roll to do D3 to, a, to yourself as well. But it's just... It's just flat mortals from a very long range away. It is a uh, demands to be respected, as I would say. So talk to me about, about all this stuff, right? Because one, you've got three of them. Two, you've mm-hmm. got some of the combinations with the, uh, obviously the Warpstone Spark. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does Warpstone Spark play a, a part with the cannons? It doesn't interact, no. Uh, okay. But you've also got the Warlock Engineer. That that plays a part yeah. with the cannons, right? It has a bubble ability yes. that does some re-rolling yeah. or what, what, I can't remember what it does. He doubles the number of dice you roll when you're seeing on three ups, you do your mortals or two ups, you do your mortals, whatever. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a war scroll on the, on the warp lightning, the more, more warps warp yeah. lightning. So before you roll the dice, yeah. um, if there's a friendly warlock engineer within three inches, you can increase the power level. You roll 12 dice. But for every one on those dice, you suffer D3 mortal wounds um, instead of the one, yeah? 
Or is it just, uh, just D3, well, when D3 you're models? supercharging, you can't take any damage. But if you are supercharging, ones do D3 mortals for each one you roll when you're supercharging. So each of those 12 uh, dice, each one is a D3 to you. To the cat. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It, 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 takes, it takes damage. It, it hurts itself. And it, mm -hmm. it's only got, what, eight wounds? Yeah, eight wounds. Eight so wounds if, if you supercharge and you get unlucky, you can delete yourself pretty easily. But I think from my, yeah. from my experience, you get one, possibly two good rounds out of them. And then anything else outside of that is just bonus. But hopefully through mm -hmm. those three attacks, you have annihilated somebody enough that you've destroyed those critical pieces. You've um, mm -hmm. removed that those important superheroes. Um, talk to me more about the Warp Lightning Cannons. How does it work? Who do you target? Uh, yeah. What are you doing to maximize it? Like, Give me the thoughts around this big investment. So Warp Lightning Cannons main thing is they disrupt they're not storm fiends in their mass output they or rattling guns even in their mass output they can't just walk up in a mid-range board and just clear things out super clear out hordes or large damage just all at once but they're long range 24 inches and they move three so 27 inch threat range um vial of the fulminator is an artifact at the start of the movement you can pick a scry or war machine within six and for that movement it gets double the movement so it goes up to a six inch movement on that cannon which gives it a 30 inch range which does come up more often than you think it would um their job is they operate really powerfully in kind of two ways the main way is the obvious way they pick out heroes and monsters that are set up on your opponent's board that i can reach so three cannons a supercharged cannon is effectively equivalent to a 2d6 mortal wound roll. It's just you're rolling more dice, and if you math it out, it's effectively the same as rolling 2d6 mortals. So three of them can do enough mortals to pick up a monster. Or two of them, or if you're lucky, one of them is enough to pick up a support hero. So their job is to disrupt your opponent's game plan by removing pieces or removing monsters, or forcing those heroes and monsters to be so far back off board that they aren't affecting their units or the board in a meaningful enough way. They don't have, that's the trick with cannons. They don't have to be shooting at the big important piece of your opponent to be getting their value. They can just sit there looking pretty, making, if you come within range, if you walk on any of the objectives on this scenario, I will shoot you. And so that thing has to stay back or he has to go in and commit and hope to double or something. But, and, but mm -hmm. the threat range is so large. And I think this is folks, if you're listening to this and you're not a Skaven player and you play against this list, the trick is to lean into it. Unless you are a specialized force, you know, soul blight, putting models into the gravesite, Stormcast coming from the mm -hmm. sky, one in every two units. A threat range of 24 inches is incredibly large. So you need to be able to lean in and know this is going to happen. And I think that's like, for example, in in one game I had, I think it did, I think it killed one one of my Stormcast Dragons and put one onto almost death. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And I was really lucky to be able to rally the dragon back on a six later in because I was that to chuck. Because so basically, like clutch of the game, I had um this uh I had one warp lightning cannon left, like just kind of like shooting mm-hmm. things. I I mostly dominated the board, but I had a dragon. It had the movement to go into the warp lightning cannon, but it was on one wound left. So if it <laughs> unleashed hell, dragon was dead. Luckily, I rolled yep. the rally on a six to get a second dragon, and that was like the turning oh. point. It was just like no, nah, gone. But um. But I do want to ask a little bit about like you've got to lean into the warp lightning cannons. You're going to get shot, and all you can do is pray to whoever you pray to that they roll like a five or a six on those dice rolls because that's what's going to save you. If they mm-hmm. roll that, and my opponent rolled lots of ones, so it's just like six mortal wounds, six mortal wounds. Yeah, yeah. That's generally you either play out of that range and try and do what you can out of that range, just kind of playing it safe until you or in you just put everything in and then you either play safe until you need to go all in or you play all in from the start and the idea is you have to just saturate threats you have to give them more things than they can shoot at you accept you're going to lose the most important piece what do you do about that and so that's kind of the two modes that i can think of for countering warp lightning cannons there's not much else you can do they're just going to do their thing the nice thing is they do kill themselves typically by the end of turn two. So whatever yeah. you have left is going to be a lot more, more likely to stick around. If you've got like an area of effect attack, um, because your warp mm-hmm. lightning cannons are normally bundled up next to the, the warlock engineer, mm-hmm. you can do some serious damage. And, and that's been some of my success is being able oh, to yeah. drop an area of effect damaging two, three, maybe even the engineer. Um, which has been really helpful. Oh, By the way, we didn't really talk about the engineer. Is that like a, uh, that's one of the linchpins, right? Like if you can kill that engineer early, um, that can, that, that can hurt your list. Uh, well, not significantly. I don't want to say significantly, but yeah. it does definitely does boost the warp lightning cannons a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. The, and another reason I don't have something like Scryracolites is because I don't want, I want to minimize the value to, targeting out the engineer as much as I can. So the engineer is there. He should be there purely just to supercharge the cannons, do nothing else. He also has another job here with levitate to make the deceiver fly so he can retreat better. Um, That's an unrelated thing, but he's actually good at that. But the engineer effectively makes the cannons able to pick up monsters or big spooky things. If the engineer's gone, the cannons can get chip damage on things from long range, which and they're not going to be killing themselves. So for the rest of the game, unless you're actually targeting the cannons, they will be getting nice chip damage throughout. So it's not the end of the world if the engineer dies. Your cannons are still going to get value. And you just have to deal with it. But you're just, you just have to shift gears. You're like, all right, I'm no longer just picking up Prince Vordry or whatever. I'm just going to do damage here wherever I can. I'm going to try and get some damage out wherever best it's most helpful. In fact, my game against Caleb, he took top of one, set up a spell portal, infernal gateway off my engineer right away, top of turn one. Yeah. And so my cannons were just shooting, and they still got enough value, thankfully. Um, With Without yeah. the engineer, they definitely do work, but, it, but that 100-point investment, especially because it buffs all three of them, so you're deploying them all close to each other, ideally, you just get incredible value out of the warp, the warp lightning cannon. And I wanted to call that as out as well because we are in a meta that's emerging that 
Gargans are coming back on the table. So the DPS check outside of Warp Lightning Cannons, who is pulling down a Mega Gargan? And I don't think you've got many other units in your unit, in your army that's pulling a Mega down. But we also have the emergence of Archaeon, 25 wounds, five up ward. He is going to be terrorizing and he would be another massive threat to Skaven too if Slaves to Darkness goes that way. Uh, but on the flip side, there's a lot of like five up rallies in these units. So you want to be able to delete those warriors, mm. those chosen, the Nurgle stuff that's like minus one rend, minus one to wound. You don't care. Warp Lightning Cannon doesn't have rend. It doesn't have a yeah. hit profile. So, so again, this is probably setting you up really nicely for the emerging Slaves to Darkness meta. That is, and that is kind of the crux of why I don't take Stormfiends or Gisales or Acolytes or Gutter Runners or any of these options over cannons. And that was going to be one of my next questions from Gwenda. Gwenda asking yeah. is, you know, cannons versus Gisales. Um, I've, they have been losing uh, mo moments where you roll the five and a six because you're right. If you roll a five or a six on the power level, they can often do no mortals. They explode. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they can swing it completely against you as much as the benefits we've talked about. They're not always you roll ones and twos and, you know, it's, it's all hotness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first thing is I like cannons more than the other things because cannons have less counterplay. They're a very long range. The, and I mean, Gisales and Wind Launchers are also a very long range. So that's equal that in that sense. But they... Are, they have to roll a hit, they have to roll a wound, they have to fail the armor save, and then you get your damage through. So there's so many more failure points. If you're getting a lookout, sir, that's a minus one to hit. If you're in a garrison, that's minus one to hit. If you're a Mornfang in the New Orders, but that's minus one to wound. If you're all out defensing and finest towering, or like if you're Zinch and you have destiny dice, you can just pass. And so there's so many more things your opponent can do about traditional shooting to stop it that yes cannons are swingy but i feel like you almost have to go you have to lean into it if you want to be able to you lose reliability in one sense in that you're rolling power dice instead of you know getting twos and twos with wind launchers or threes and twos with wind launchers if you're lucky but in exchange you're ignoring all of your opponent's things that they would have had to get around it and that's really valuable against something like Night Haunt, especially, where they're, and even more so, with all of the things with three up bodyguards in the game Fire Slayers, Slaves to Darkness, Night Haunt, other Skaven, there's three up bodyguards. Warp Lightning Cannons could put out enough damage that you can just see that bodyguard and be like, okay, I'm gonna shoot you anyways. I put out enough mortal wounds that I'm gonna make you fail through your three up bodyguard. Um, so you also, you also pull down castles really well. You pull down castles yeah. so well. Yeah, it pulls apart the piece that's holding the castle. And there's two thoughts here. The first one I'll finish is the swinginess of cannons. That's why there's three. So the, I can't take one or two because you need law of large numbers as much as three more. Three dice rolls is a law of large numbers. You're just trying to push more rolls for more averages. I'm hesitant to go to four cannons just because that's really difficult to fit all within range of an engineer and in deployment. They're a really big base, which makes deployment really annoying. But three is kind of the sweet spot. 
So you have enough dice that typically one is going to get a five or a six, but typically at least one is going to get a three or better. And if you can get a three or better, you can probably pick up a hero with that. Yeah. So that's how you can mitigate the swinginess of it. I've had games where an entire turn goes by with them shooting. All they've done is chip damage on themselves and then done like two mortals. But then I find the next turn, they get another shot at it, and then suddenly they pop off. So there's a bit of a bias you have to be aware of with something like cannons, where, yes, you can whiff on one turn, but you can't just anchoring bias and go, oh, man, cannons are awful. There's still more turns after that, and they're still getting value by threatening your opponent by having this 27-inch range. You you can roll low, but your opponent kind of has to assume that you won't roll low if they want to be careful with how they're deploying. Therefore, you're getting value out of them, whether they're shooting or not in that sense. And then that kind of leads into the second, the last point I want to talk about with cannons is the deployment phase. They work so hard in the deployment phase in getting value. They ruin the battle regiment, so you can't go low drops at the list, but I don't want to go low drops anyways. I want expert conquerors on my clan rats. I want bounty hunters on my giant rats. I don't mind a bonus artifact on the engineer. So going high drops is actually a good thing with cannons. They inherently force you to go high drops, but that benefits them. You want to throw out junk clan rats, giant rats, whatever. Thankwall and Deceiver will teleport wherever. They just want to care about unbind ranges. But the cannons want to wait until as long as possible. Because as long as they're not on the field, suddenly your opponent has to deploy as if they could be anywhere in your deployment zone. And now they're measuring 27 inches from anywhere, because that's your 3-inch plus your shooting. Add in Viola the Fulminator, so any one of those cannons can now move 6. Suddenly now they have to measure, assuming your cannons will be anywhere 30 inches from your deployment zone. That's the value of Viola the Fulminator. Sometimes it does come up the extra 3 inches later in a game. But the main value is deployment zone, forcing your opponent to deploy a full 30 from your setup or 30 inches from a knothole. Because you can do something like put two knowholes in your deployment zone, put a cannon near both of them, either uh, dreaded skitterleap the engineer up to the third knothole that's somewhere midboard, or put him in Laosh on the Soul Seeker and send him up to that knothole. And then two cannons jump out through their nozzles and join him at that third novel. And now you're firing two supercharged cannons from there. All of a yeah. sudden, now your opponent has to respect 30 inches from your entire deployment zone and all of your nozzles. Because a nozzles, you come out of it wholly within six and you shoot 24, so that's where you get 30 inches from there. So it's disruption. You don't have to just kill your things to get disruption. Your opponent, in specifically this list, has to stay out of, has to respect your disruption range, your killing range on your cannons, and then furthermore the Deceiver, who can teleport anywhere outside of six of the enemy. So there's kind of two layers at which you're really stressing out your opponent's deployment. <laughs> you find, and then in some scenarios like Roundstone Cash, you're like, well, I'm going to get to shoot something. You literally can't do anything about that. There's not enough deployment space. I'm going to get to shoot something with a giant, with a nozzle placement that's well. And then on top of that, with the cannons, with their threat range, if your opponent messes up their deployment and you're able to set up in shooting range with your cannons of an important piece of theirs, 
suddenly the fact that you're being out dropped doesn't matter because they need to take first because those cannons are way too much of a threat or they feel like they have to take first otherwise the cannons are just going to start shooting at them and to them that idea can't be tolerated therefore they need to go first they need to alpha strike they need to hit you before those cannons hit them there's a lot to unpack here, and that's why I wanted to talk about this because uh, yeah. what, where, where, where do I start, right? You know, Lee, Lee mentioning earlier, right? You know, Thankwell being able to get two of them to yes. unleash hell. So mm -hmm. there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of forty chess going on here. First, yeah, when you when you and I rock up to the table and I see those warp lightning cannons, if I have seen them before and I respect you enough to know the damage that's going to come out there, it does ask mm -hmm. a really tough question. Do I deploy deep so that if I'm battle okay. regiment, I give you first and I let you shoot nothing or shoot, you know, mm -hmm. a sacrifice of, of, of um, trash, but I've kept my critical pieces away from you. And then I hope for the double going into one and two, right? I go at the bottom of the turn, mm -hmm. hopefully get the double. I can get in and do my good stuff. It's a thought. Now, Mm -hmm. That allows you to advance up the board unthreatened because, okay, well, I'll start scoring early. I'll start doing my things. But then you add the layer of the gnar holes to go, right, well, I might not be in shooting range right now, but with smart gnar hole deployment, yeah, I'm going to break my combination with the engineer, but I'm still going to be able to threat you in, in turn one and, and pull down some key pieces while still scoring battle tactics, things like that. On the flip side, as you said, it turns people really aggressive where going alpha on you in turn one is not the right strategy. But because they're so worried about those uh, warp lightning cannons, they deploy on the line, they race up the board, they hope that the dice gods are favorable, that they hit the charge. Yeah, there's some turn one charge armies. Iron Jaws, I'm looking at you. Stormcast have some tools, but most armies can't charge you in turn one. And if they lose the double, or if that you go in, one, you're now in range of more options, mm -hmm. but two, if you get the double, can they sustain two rounds of these warp lightning cannons that haven't got into combat yet? You really throw your opponent off, and it's a tough thing to unpack, and it's why I think going with the risk of going with warp lightning cannons is worth it over Giselles or Alkalites. Like, like if my opponent had Giselles and Alkalites, I'm like, okay, I can handle you. But it's when warp lightning cannons are on the table, I need to think my, about my game very differently. Yeah. And that's another, what I've looked at Giselles before, replacing cannons with Giselles to get the extra points. I just look at their three up to hit, three up to wound, run two, damage three with a warp spark. And I'm like, the threes and threes means that you're probably just as swinging as a cannon anyways. You're rolling more dice, so you're more likely to roll a little more average, but it's a lot of the time, <clears throat> it's just because you're rolling one dice that it feels so much more swingy. But I feel like Giselles are just as likely to whiff as something like cannons are. And then past that, you're looking at Storm Fiends for your only other super long range shooting, which that's just an entire other list in and of itself. So it kind of, cannons just feel the best. And then on top of that, this is another point I even forgot about here. There, actually, no, I brought this up before. There's just so there's an increasing number of things in the meta that are anti-shooting. Archeon yes. recently became more vulnerable to mortal wounds. He used to have a four up against mortals. Now it's just a five up ward. Suddenly, yeah. cannons are way more valuable. Um, 
Techless, I think, is also super killable. Um, you can get through save stacking, and then the minus is to hit and wound that we talked about before. And then I do love the comment that you brought up before with yeah. Thankwall double issuing Unleash Hell with cannons. That is a reason that you can sometimes just stick cannons out in the open with no screens in front of them, because if Thankwall's within 18 of both, your opponent can't afford to charge them, otherwise he'll just die. And, and that and that is definitely for the armies that can charge you, you can punish them mm -hmm. before they get in, and then you you delete the attrition, right? You know, like I've got two Stormtrass Dragons. I mean, four is not that popular. They, I think they're starting to come back a little bit, I've seen in the UK especially. But if I charge two Stormcast Dragons and you're able to double Unleash Hell with two Warp Lightning Cannons, there's a good chance you'll pull down one of the two Dragons. And then it asks the question, well, was that worth going so aggressive? And I wanted to call out this comment here from Stark absolutely nails it is it's frustrating for you to deploy so defensively i look at those three warp lightning cannons i freak out and i don't i, I deploy off the line i'm deploying as far away as possible but mm -hmm. in the normal case that was the strategy you would do with like let's say long strikes you would use that with bow snakes like cool bow snakes can shoot in the hero phase i'm just going to avoid that and i'll de deploy outside of 24 but they don't have the teleporty shenanigans that you have. And then actually you may have put yourself in a far worse position by being so defensively in turn one, because now I need to take first turn. Now I need to be doing a bunch of running and getting up the board just to, just to get back to where I should have been if I deployed on the line. So it does, again, I talk at 40 chess a lot. You are playing in, in a different game than what other people. And, and that's exciting. Yeah, you need to have patience with cannons. One from, you know, your rolls of cannons, if they roll bad, you need to be patient and give it more shots or give it more chances to shoot. But you also need patience in that if your opponent does set up all of their things outside of your threat range and make you go first, you can just be, okay, if we're both out of range of each other, I'm going to put my clan rats barely on the objectives. I'm expert conquerors, so now you have to do something to take me off of it. And therefore, my cannons will just sit back. Maybe they'll get free little boops. Yeah, <laughs> double turn against cannons is even worse. So if you can keep the cannons through your opponent's double, that's bad. That's bad. That's that's the concern that we're all worried about. Like, can I handle one round of, of uh, warp lightning cannons? Probably. Do I want to be double turned? no so look i think yeah, we've kind of reinforced the, yeah like i think we've reinforced the points of why warp lightning cannons definitely should be considered and why you go three as opposed mm -hmm. to one i've seen people playing around with the play claw catapult i've seen people playing around with other options when you start putting so many points into other um you know like they they run like one warp lightning cannon or two warp lightning cannons or they'll mm -hmm. you know have one with a bunch of gisels and and other shooting units I think that inconsistency is is hurting them, and that's why they don't see the value in Warp Lightnings. But when you've got mm -hmm. three, you really get consistency as a group. And again, the three plus the engineer at 500-odd points will mm -hmm. delete a 500-point Vampire Lord and Zombie Dragon. You'll do enough yeah. damage that they it pays itself off over the tournament, let alone you've still got the, the Vermin Lord Deceiver that we haven't really even spoken about much. You've still got Thankwall. Mm -hmm. You've still got the other threats of giant rats. All while your clan rats are scoring. All while your yeah, Master Molder can bring back can bring back the rat ogres, the giant rats, some of yeah. the other units. And your clan rats are regenerating. So like mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's saturating. Up. I want multiple threats. I feel like a good list should have multiple threats. That's what keeps it adaptable. But a big thing to keep in mind with cannons is because they kill themselves by the end of turn two on average, yeah. Yeah. you need to have enough board presence still that you can keep pushing your advantage even after the cannons are gone. And that's why the clan rats are so important. Because they're an expert conquerors, they can still hold that board presence with their bodies and they can just hold objectives. So I still have my two monsters as the threats now that the cannons are gone. The giant rats are probably gone as well. But the two monsters will run around dealing with hammers, absorbing hits, take, sending out hits. But it's the clan rats that are the important part. Because with the cannons gone, I need something to be touching the objectives and the monsters aren't going to be doing that. And so the clan rats are doing that job. Can I ask you? What was I going to ask you? I was going to ask you something. Yeah, look, I think there's, there's, you know, you've got backboard mm-hmm. threat, you've got midboard threat, and then you've got the the front threat. Uh, I was going to ask you something mm-hmm. that I've completely forgotten. Let's loop back to, yeah, I think what black cannon is great. I think uh, it does fill mm-hmm. a, a, a role there. They're quite strong, and well, I, had, I had something. I, I was going. To, oh, that's right. I, I remember what I was going to ask you. Uh, before I move back to the Vermin Lord and actually get a proper uh, analysis on that, and because obviously there's a lot yeah. of different Vermin Lords out there and things, yeah. Knowing knowing how great Warp Lightning cannons are, would you consider mm-hmm. bringing in a um, uh, a Plague Priest to get heal uh, the heal prayer? Would you consider <laughs> getting Emerald 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 Life Swarm? Because the longer I keep those Warp Lightning cannons on the board obviously the more threat potential and mortals I'm doing. So if I could extend that duration of like keeping them around till turn three, even turn four, is that worth looking into some healing mechanics of some, some capacity for the warp lightning cannons? So I have tried to make this happen before. I'm like Emerald life swarm heal prayer on something. I want to heal these cannons so they can keep shooting. That sounds so good to me. Every time I've made a list with it, though, I've just ended up like dropping it out because I need the points elsewhere. Currently, I can't justify putting the points into the cannons, and I've been able to get enough value even though they kill themselves eventually. If there is one way to get them to get that value, though, I'd say it'd be through the Plague Furnace. Because the Furnace is already doing other jobs that you can get value out of the heal prayer. He already wants heal because he's a really tanky piece himself. He's mm. minus one to hit and wound in melee, 15 wounds on a four up, five up. He's a chonky boy. And then he's putting out that 13 inch aura of bat- auto pass battle shock. So those things, and then he's also got a big chunk of mortal wounds in melee. So he synergizes with cannons and just pushing further into the mortal wound output lens. But then he can also take heal prayer, which he wants for himself to try and heal him up if he survives, or he can heal cannons. That would be the best way, I think, to get the value. Because you can't take something with the explicit purpose of healing just the cannons. That's too much of an investment into cannons. And ultimately, when something can kill itself on your own turn, or just damage itself enough that chip damage will kill it from your opponent's stuff, you can't invest like a 60-point endless spell just for them. You need the thing to be healing them to be getting value elsewhere. 
when when life swarm I'll, I'll take advantage while you cough when life swarm was what 40 points i would go yeah absolutely life swarm is a uh, very limited point wise to to increase the value mm -hmm. of the the warp lightning cans but now that it's 70 points that's a real decision that is a unit yeah. and it's like is it worth it for a d3 and it takes up one of your castings and it could only be one you heal one like is that really worth yeah. the investment at the You're moment it's, 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 it's hard points. Yeah, 70 points over three, and then you're just adding that value onto your cannons. You're like, all right, my cannons are now like 168 or something. Is that is that worth it still? Or 120? It takes the combination of 600, right? When you look, when you look at 450 between the three cannons, plus exactly. the warp, what the engineer is now bringing you to 550, it's 620 for a combination. Is 620 worth it? Uh, or is mm -hmm. it, you know, it's, it's a good and question to what, ask. That's why cannons, I think, became so much better. There's two reasons cannons became so much better in this book versus the previous one. is because before, it, you had to have one engineer per cannon to supercharge them. But um, now, because you can split the cost of the engineer over all three cannons, suddenly the tax for taking cannons isn't as bad. And then in addition to that, there's also knot holes becoming way better, which means their threat range is way better as well. But... Now they're palatable because they got a 30-point drop, and now the engineer can be spread over multiple cannons instead of 100 points for one. Now you're not relying super hard on the engineer getting value elsewhere as well as taking a cannon. Now you can build around it as a strategy. Yeah, I, I think I think what we're seeing here is you're you're synergizing really nicely, but also you're getting value. If you think about the again the combination of the master molder with the clan uh, with the giant rats, you're seeing the engineer with warp lightning cannon. You're spreading out value, and you're you're getting more than what you're paying. And that's ultimately mm -hmm. how great list writers build their list is that they they get mm -hmm. more than what they pay for the unit. Yeah, you want layering strategies like that. Accidental bonuses here and there. Talk to me about the Vermin Lord, and I'm conscious of time. And this has been a great chat. Who who knew we could talk almost two hours about one one list? Um, makes oh, makes me yeah. hard doing TikToks, man. TikToks are like one minute videos. Like, how on earth could I ever do a oh, TikTok man. sixty second <laughs> clip? My videos average like a right. put put this on a cinema. But talk to me about the Vermin Lord because. Um, Obviously, one, Vermin Lords are great. I'm a big fan of them. Mm -hmm. I wish if, if I could make them battle line like Gargans and just run all the Vermin Lords, that would be the greatest army list um, that I could that ever use. Oh, my gosh. It'd be so good. So my type of army. But you've got so many mm -hmm. great different Vermin Lords, right? And I often see, at mm -hmm. least some of the armies I play, will often have the Vermin Lord with the Storm Vermin as a bodyguard. So they often create like two tanky oh, heroes. So you have, yeah, yeah, you have the Warbringer with the um with the 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 Storm Vermin, um as well as then Fanquil, right? So you'd have two super tanky mm -hmm. heroes pinning your opponent down, take a lot of abuse while the rest of the army is either pew pewing, scoring, doing their thing. Yeah, so there's definitely some, in my opinion, some winners and losers. And I don't think that's a highly contentious for Vermin Lords. Um, the Warbringer, the Deceiver are the best of them all. The Warbringer, for his sheer 
reliable output of like 30 damage on average at rend three with rerolls to wound, so he's super reliable. Then the Deceiver instead has multiple different things he does. He's hypermobile with his teleport outside of six of an enemy instead of nine. And then he has far less damage, but still at rend three. And he has the big, the sheer tankiness because he can blank combats by just running away and stopping a combat altogether. Um, the others, the Warp Seer, Screech Vermin King are just bad. I don't think you can take them. Won't go into detail about that, but the Corruptor is just a slot machine. If you like gambling, take him. I can't take that much gambling, so I'm not going to take him. Then the Warp Gnaw is kind of a marriage between the Deceiver and the Warbringer. It's a much cheaper, that's, the Warp Gnaw is the Forge World one. It's much cheaper than the others because it hasn't been updated because it's Forge World, but it has a bit of the mobility and a bit of the output. So it's kind of a mix between the two, Deceiver and Warbringer. Here we have the Deceiver. He's in this list. The first thing that informed putting him in this list was my opponents for New Mexico. Um, at first, I wasn't expecting, again, wasn't expecting the Cronspine to show up in Caleb's list because the Cronspine is a good counter to the Deceiver. The combo, by the way, and I learned this from Joel Graham when you had your AOS video with him. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I wonder, I wonder if this is what I'm quickly trying to look at because I'm seeing the chat talking a bit yeah. about is it scurry away and the combination of the shadow mag magnet is that yes. what you're talking about yeah exactly i first learned this from your video where you interviewed or had your video with uh joel graham but yeah. the combo is he can pop the artifact shadow magnet trinket to gain always strikes first until your next hero phase if he has always strikes first then you can pick him to fight and in your opponent's phase before they get to fight. And when a Skaven hero that is, doesn't have a mount is picked to fight, they can make a retreat move instead. He moves 12 inches, so he can just peace. And that's where Levitate comes in. Because if your opponent can surround him, he can't retreat because he can't move over a model. But if you cast Levitate on him, then even if your opponent surrounds him, he can hop over the models, the terrain, whatever he needs to to get away. And with that 12-inch movement, he can get there. So that's one of the big pieces to take with the Deceiver. The reason he's in the list is, one of the main reasons he's in the list is because of that. He also synergizes with the cannons and stressing out your opponent's deployment, right? By You have to worry about a six-inch away teleport and the cannons. Um, so there's value there. Then also, but the auto runaway part is the big piece for fighting Marathi. I knew Gavin was taking Daughters. Therefore, he's very likely taking Marathi. With Marathi, um, the Ashen ability is you can pick an assassin target that you're contracted to kill. And what you do is your Ashen keyword gets plus one to hit and wound against them for shooting a melee. It's just the Deceiver in this list. So he's plus one to hit and wound. I target the big Shadow Queen. I'm plus one to hit and wound against the Shadow Queen. I walk right up in front of the Shadow Queen as much as I can. Marathi charges the Marathi can't charge the Deceiver. Because if she charges it, I get to unleash hell. I'm plus one to hit and wound, so I'm offsetting the minus, and I'm plus one to hit. I likely chip the three damage that I need to. Then I just pop Shadow Magnet Trinket and leave combat. And the nice thing about Shadow Magnet Trinket is it lasts until my next hero phase. So if I pop it in your turn and you double turn me, it's still on. I still have always strikes first. So I can retreat back and stay 
somewhere obnoxious that you still can't get past me kind of need to charge me. But if you charge me, I'm just going to run away because I still have strikes first. So that's one of the hidden benefits of the Deceiver I love the most is he mitigates enemy double turns. If your opponent is about to double you, Shadow Magnet lasts through the double and therefore can take up board space, blank combat through that double turn and keep you with something alive still. Yeah, and when you've got Flaming Weapon to do plus one damage, you've got uh, the command trait that's giving you plus two attacks. Is that correct? Is that correct? Yes. The um, Devious that's Adversary. Right. So I don't know how many, I haven't got the wall scroll up, but when you have plus two attacks, plus one damage from Flaming Weapon, you have a strike first ability once per game with the Shadow Mag Magnet. By the way, I'm... So I am still surprised that the Vermin Lord can get Scurry away. I feel like that's a sub-commander rule, but the fact that you can Scurry away is pretty incredible. And I guess the, the threat is that when I'm on your side of the fence, if I am fighting against the Vermin Lord, if mm -hmm. I don't attack it first, then it's it could run away. And then I don't get that attack sequence, right? But if you then mm. pop that strike first, then it does really give you a great ability to go in, do mass damage, and not have to worry too much about the return serve. Or you can go in with two units, knowing that you get strike first, and you know you play around with some shenanigans there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So devious adversaries in here because I really like the Warbringer because he can just pick up a unit, no questions asked. He just does it. He gets the job done. And missing out on a really heavy-hitting piece like that sucks against four-up rally armies, like Daughters. Because they'll if you can't kill them, they can retreat and guaranteed get at least one rally, regardless of who goes next. Um, so the idea with Devious Adversary is you're just trying to push your damage up as high as possible. He needs Flaming Weapon regardless of whatever loadout you give him, because he's damage two base, and he needs that damage three to become valuable in combat. Um, so he was always going to take Flaming Weapon, but Devious Adversary gives him the extra two attacks if he fights before something within three of them, and that puts him from six attacks to eight attacks at rend three, damage three, likely twos and twos. He's three up, two up base. The rend three is massive. It allows you to commit to, yeah. and I guess I guess even if you did Thankful with the four Warp Fire Projectors, it still gives you a good combat threat range where where I've seen in the past, people would move up Thankful to Burninate. You also use the Deceiver to get close, getting close. That does the damage. Or you Burninate what you need to Burninate, and then the Deceiver goes into something elite that would normally go in to try to respond to Thankful, but you remove it with the Deceiver mm -hmm. instead. So I've I've seen yeah. I've seen some good tag teaming between those two. Yeah, the mobility that both the Deceiver and Thankful have means they're a great partnership. They do a lot. They can alpha strike together. They can stay back and just threaten together. Thankful covers hordes. Deceiver covers heroes and monsters. It's this great little hand in hand. They're both casters. Um, the Deceiver is mostly there to try and kill heroes, but Thankful with the double melee weapons is also there to try and kill things behind stuff. It's just a bunch of things that will go after your important pieces all one after another. 
Yeah, and, and we talked a lot, obviously, already about Thankful and the loadout. I guess it depends on the meta and where we're moving to. But, you know, the, the tag teaming is great. You definitely, if you want to do the four projectors, this works well as like a shooty and combat. But you obviously having two of the, the melee profiles as well means that you're going to get max value in combat too. But Gwenda making a good good comment here is, do you mm -hmm. feel that you're never too low on damage with the Deceiver versus the absolute brick house of damage that is the Warbringer, especially if it fights twice with dreaded Death Frenzy? Um, you'd have no plus one damage kills kills the Deceiver, sorry. So if you fail what yeah, Flaming Weapon... With that flaming weapon, do you find you're getting better value from the Warbringer, I guess, is the question. So I feel like every time I make a Skaven list, it starts with, okay, I'm like 99% of the time taking Thankwall. Then the next question is, Warbringer or Deceiver? Which one? Because I've taken one of them. Nothing else in the book utilizes the command traits from the Skaven book nearly as well as the Deceiver or the Warbringer. And taking both is difficult because they both really want an artifact. They both really want the command trait, but the Deceiver can kind of get away without it. But to get them both with the artifact, you need more heroes to get the core battalions for it. But it's always a choice between one of the two for me. The Warbringer solves so many combat issues, but the Deceiver, <laughs> the Deceiver gives you the mobility and the tankiness that the Warbringer just can't do. And so... I feel like the decision between those two is very much so a meta call. If you're in a meta where you want to take that mobility, if you need to hit the heroes, then the Deceiver is going to be better. If you want a little bit of extra chip damage from the shooting, the Deceiver is better. Dreaded Death Frenzy from the Warbringer is also a huge value piece too, because unlike normal Death Frenzy, that can target heroes. And that actually synergizes really well with the uh, Warbringer, if he wants to suicide himself in, because I learned this recently, the command ability uh, Devious Adversary, which is if when this unit is picked to attack, if there's no, if there is an enemy unit within three inches of the unit that hasn't fought yet, they get plus two attacks, right? That's the plus two attack source. But it's all of the weapons, so that's why the Warbringer gets value. But the thing on top of that is each time that unit is picked to fight in that combat phase, if there's an enemy unit that hasn't fought within three, it adds two more attacks until the end of the phase. So the Warbringer, who's normal six attacks on his one glaive, two on his punch fist, fights, gets eight attacks and four attacks, has dreaded death rounds in himself, dies, fights again. Now he's 10 attacks on the glaive, six attacks on the fist. So he can just start stacking death bombs. He has to die to do it. You're losing your warlord. It's massive, but he can yeah. Giga nuke anything at rend three damage three on everything. Wow. So, I mean it when the Warbringer can solve your four up rally issues really easily because there's nothing to four up rally if he just kills the thing outright, right? Big commitment so it though. It's a like, massive commitment. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I feel like the Warbringer is going to pick up more in value over time because rallies are, but easier rallies are becoming more and more common. With Slaves to Darkness getting it on five ups, with Glit yeah. Gets on a four up, Snakes on a four up. No, no, who else? Who else has got? There's a whole bunch of, and there's a lot of regenerate. Yeah, there's a lot of. 
yeah, but the also, but you're also but, but you're also seeing a lot of anti rallies. So you know, Archeon, you can't yeah. rally near him. Gargans are doing a bunch True. of things as well. So you're seeing, you are seeing some some list tech. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have to, I have to do a marketing like sponsorship here. Um, <laughs> Old El Paso, why not both? Why not both the Deceiver <laughs> yeah. and the Warbringer? So you can take both. But the Deceiver needs Shatter Magnet Trinket, so he gets that Always Strikes first to get his value. The Warbringer needs the Warpstone Charm to get the extra Rend on his profile, so they both really need the Artifact to get their value. And then both of them also really want Flaming Weapon, because they're both damage 2 base on their main weapons. So they kind of conflict a little bit. You can maybe get away with one of each, as long as you can get an Artifact for both of them. Then one of them's missing out on the Warlord trait, which sucks, but you can live with it. But the Flaming Weapon is the issue I keep running into. The Warp Knot also needs Flaming Weapon, or he doesn't need Flaming Weapon, but he needs the Warlord trait and Artifact really badly. The Corruptor needs the Warlord trait and Artifact really badly. It's just all of these additional things that kind of hurts taking both, but you can get away with taking both. And the damage output of a Warbringer from a six inch away teleport anywhere on the board, that's where you get all the value. That's the reason to take both of them. I think the but, question current I think the question currently is where do the points come from to have both the the yeah. in your list, for example, do you drop the 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 warp lightning cannons? No. The other points come right. from Thankwell. Thankwell. And do you mm-hmm. drop Thankwell for two uh Vermin Lords or will uh, obviously and if Thankwell ever changes, if his base size increases, for example, like how that's mm-hmm. that's the sneaky trick on how he gets onto that surfboard Lachlan Lolchen, yeah. um, because he's got like a such a small base, he's allowed to sneak into the the range. If that ever changed and Thankwell becomes less attractive with his points, maybe that's where we go into double Vermin Lord and you have a Deceiver, or a Corruptor, or something Absolutely. else. But currently. Yeah. Currently, yeah, it's it's hard to justify both of them when Thankwell just does his mm-hmm. thing without any buffs or the warp the warp lightning cannons doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it it's a very hero hammer list, but you can definitely get it to work sometimes. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I was just I was just double checking someone, uh, Gracie, in the chat. I mean, if someone's name is Gracie, I do trust them in some degree. Asking, does Devious adversary stack like that? It says add t- plus two to the attack characteristic. Isn't at the base characteristic? So two and six. And I was just having a look at some of the wording. So uh, Devious adversary in the combat phase. If the general fights within three of the enemy and it hasn't fought in that phase, add two to the attack characteristics of the general's melee weapons till the end of the phase. Yeah. So. I don't think there's any reason why you can't keep adding to the attack characteristic over and over and over. I believe that works in other books as well. Because it, it, the only reason I think he wouldn't is because there was that one time in the FAQ where it's like, if two modifiers apply, you choose the most recent one. So that might be why you can't, although I'd have to look into the t- specifically about that. I'd have to check the tapes, but like we won't get yeah. into the weeds on a live stream. But like, just triple check the tapes, make sure the wording all works. But I mean, even even without it, like Devious Adversary just is just uh, it just slaps with um, what you're doing with the Vermin yeah. Lord. Yeah, it's what makes the Vermin Lords 400 points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk to me about maybe the. Uh, let's bring it home a little bit. I am conscious of of time, and I, I think you and I could talk forever. Right. 
What are the lessons that you learned from from playing Skaven at the GW Open? And by the way, I'll just bring up the bracket. Like, uh, oh, we didn't even talk about that. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. It's two hours and we already oh, haven't right. talked about this, right? You know, you look at your your pathway, mm -hmm. right? So you're in you're you're number five there. So you played Caleb with yep. um his disciples of Zinch game one. We know you won that 30 to 15 which then took you to round two where you played Gavin. Um, like Gavin is an absolute, I mean, Caleb is a great player. Gavin is, you know, pe people talk about Gavin, like he's a top, top tier player. Absolutely incredible. Oh, sure. um, you beat him 29 to 17. You then went into uh, Seraphon where you dropped that game to mm -hmm. Dean, who eventually won the event uh, 23 to 7. You so you went from the winners bracket down to the losers bracket. So when you get round four, when, yeah. yeah. So when you lost your first game, you dropped down to a loser bracket. So people kept playing, and I guess the end of the loser bracket could fight their way back into the top, which is exactly what you did. You then went mm -hmm. into who'd you play? You played Matt Swinney. Oh, you went straight to the finalists. So Matt, 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 yeah. Matt, um, Matt with his Stormcast. Uh, I think that was live streamed, if I remember correctly. I remember seeing Bastion uh, yeah, that was get, as well. get annihilated. Bastion uh, charging, failed to kill any giant rats, so we didn't get to heal. And so I just killed him in response in my turn. Oh, eight wounds, so four up four up ward, heals at the end of combat if he kills something. Giant rats basically annihilates uh, you know, the Lord Commander um so that then gets you from the final into back into against dean and dean mm -hmm. uh, w went on to win it again so he he had your number twice <laughs> yeah just couldn't do it that was <laughs> that was something dean had a very yeah. good list i'm very excited to see your video with him that's coming out in the future right ne this yeah this time next week i'll, I'll see what but look yeah. the trash talking has already started re-rolling ones now jack, jack oh i can't um, touch jack <laughs> He's saying you've been ducking Jack for years. What what do you want to say to Jack? Rerolling one's Jack. No, I mean I'll I'm just happy I haven't been able to fight him. He's he'll put me in my place, you know. Jack's been Jack's uh, been messaging me a lot. He he, he private messaged me a lot. He said, mm -hmm. I'm glad I've been duck I've been ducking you. Like I'm so glad no. I haven't <laughs> been wrecked. Because you know, you could go you can go on to rerolling ones and actually do a masterclass mm -hmm. on on rerolling ones. That yeah. <laughs> Oh, there's there's a lot of things to discuss with Skaven, especially with how just how much there is in the book and every little piece can get little bits of value here and there. And I think that's that's the key of this discussion, folks. If you are a Skaven player and you want to run something, you do you, build your list how you want to build it. We haven't talked a lot about Eshin, for example. We haven't really talked about Pestilence. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great things in Pestilence, a lot of great things in Eshin. Um, I love the new Underworlds Warband slinks and things like that. I think if you want to build a competitive list, you take what you want out of this discussion and you find your thing. But I guess, you know, to bring it home, what were some of the lessons that you'd learned that maybe you'd want to share to a Skaven player as they're thinking about either their last couple of tournaments of 2022 or they're thinking about planning out and, and uh, hell, Skaven's got a new battle box. There's going to be a whole bunch mm -hmm. of new Skaven players who get that for Christmas who are going to think, watch this video and go, right, how do I crush 2023 with Skaven? Yeah, so I mean, overall, there's a lot of things you can... I've looked at my own list building approach 
and I've been critical of it as much as I can, there's a few things that I would say are actually pretty helpful for list building that you wouldn't, that I wouldn't have thought of. When I, during the pandemic, I played Magic the Gathering a bit. I picked up StarCraft II a bit. When I've always played a little bit of League of Legends here and there. These games surprisingly are helpful for figuring out how you build lists and what armies you like to play. In a lot of these games, I'm like, I like tanky things or things that just do their job. The Warbringer can just do his job. I like things that have regening or if the idea that if we trade and you come out alive on both ends, I still have a backup plan. I can regen. I have sustain in League of Legends, for example. This kind of idea kind of leans itself to playing, you know, Ossiarch Bone Reapers because they regen back. All death armies do. Scaving with Clan Rats and Thankwall can regen back. So there's something to be said about playing other games, and then especially things like Hearthstone, Magic the Gathering, where you're literally building decks and building the same way you would build lists. And you can, like, this is the idea of a far transfer skill, where you don't look at the specifics of, like, oh, I play black, green, or whatever. But, like, how do I approach building these things? What colors am I drawn to? And what is it about these elements in this game that make me drawn to them? And are there equivalents in a faction in AOS or a way to build a faction like Skaven that I can pull over from here that obviously I'm comfortable playing, that I enjoy playing, that I can carry over into Skaven or a faction? Um, that's an interesting thing that I found myself doing. Like I would build a Magic the Gathering deck and I'd be like, interest i kind of like black green because it regenerates i like these armies because they regenerate maybe i should lean into that more um what were the other things i was gonna say oh now i can't remember them no, i like that oh, I, another I'm, one. I'm, re I'm reflecting on my own magic career which was like yeah i, I right. played I, I played magic before it was like in the 90s and like i have i wish mm, i kept my black lotuses nice. and things like that like i, I used to have the og <laughs> cards so you don't talk to me about it don't talk to me about it <laughs> But like, I think for me, like, I think I was a red white player. I loved, I loved like mm -hmm. Burner Nation, yeah, but also aggressive. like flooding the flooding the ball with like one one <laughs> stupid birds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and here you are playing giants, so maybe things have changed a little bit since then. I, I, I run one hundred and sixty grots. Like, just flood the ball no, with idiots. That's like, true. That one. And I got true. I got scrag rot and little exactly. little wizards behind the scenes, just like. Some of my right. most fun was like running seven endless spells with gloom spike gits, just like endless spells for days <laughs> and a war. Oh of my idiots. god! <laughs> endless spells is the equivalent of equipment in Magic: The Gathering, and red white is the equipment list. So there what, you go. What, what am I? What am I wearing? Red white. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. For oh, sure. It's it's, it's Another thing I thought of that I brought this up in the Saga of Dice interview I did a few days few days ago yeah but one of the things i think that's interesting is not i don't go on to any of the skaven chats on whatsapp or discord and twitter and they have great ideas particularly i like the aos coach one there's a lot of good ideas tossed out there but you have to be careful with asking you have to be careful and ask yourself like how much of this is just them uh, anybody telling me oh just take x x is better or don't even bother with any of molder i it's too risky rolling three ups 
you really want to be able to, I at least find I can't listen to anybody's advice on anything because I just try it out myself for my own opinions, see whether, and really, it takes a lot of it critical thinking to be able to go to a list and say, did this perform the way I want it to? Could something else in the book be better? But instead of just asking like, hey, this didn't do well, and they're like, take Storm Fiends. Storm Fiends are better. But being like, maybe there's something else for it. Yeah, this is absolutely evergreen advice for any faction. And a lot of people say losses show you how to improve. Absolutely, that's true. I have, everybody learns from their losses. But what an interesting thing I found is even in victories, even in a win game I've won, I can still look at a unit and be like, I still didn't like how that unit performed, even if I won. Like, just because it won doesn't mean this list, this unit that I was trying out is worth it. I might swap it out anyways. I've done that a few times where I'm like, I just wasn't happy with the performance. It was other things that won me the game here. When I actually look at what this thing did, it didn't actually do much for me. And Skaven, you can do that a lot because you can keep building into one clan more and more, try and get more value. Like Molder, the more you build into Molder, the more you're taking Master Molders, which means you're getting more three-up revives. Maybe you want more units to revive on a three-up, and it just keeps snowballing. But you can ask yourself, like, how much do I really want to force myself into Molder? Because the more you go into Molder, the less you're losing the less you have in Scryer or Eshin or Thankwalls or this or that or the others. And so, like, it's tempting to go four Rat Ogres, four Rat Ogres, two Master Molders, and Giant Rats. But then you have room for nothing else. So instead, I kept it light. Only had 18 Giant Rats and Master Molder. Everything else was non-Molder stuff. And being able to look at individual units' performance as well as performance going into a specific archetype, whether it's the clan for, for a Skaven thing, or like the number of sharks you have in Ignath Deepkin, how much you're building into one specific thing. If you can look at that critically and either see its performance after a game, whether you won or lost, see how well it did, or just actually try out one shark, then three sharks, then five sharks, then seven sharks that will help you learn not only specifically sharks, but it still improves your value with the faction as well. Because if you run into an opponent who's, play, who's playing sharks, you're like, oh, I never ran seven sharks. That's a garbage list. I, but you're, you run into a person in a tournament who is, run, who is running seven sharks. You're like, I've at least played that once. And then I played a game, another game before with five sharks. I have an idea of what they're going to do, the things that I need to watch out for. And that just makes you all the more prepared to play against other people too. A lot of good stuff in that. I mean, the mm -hmm. value of testing and I'll go back to my own experiences, you know, like my, even my discord annoys the crap out of me sometimes because, and, and like, I'll go into like nothing will grind my gears more than when I went into my daughter's a cane chat and I'm like, I'm going to run a witch elf heavy build. And all I got mm -hmm. back was snakes are better. Snakes are better. And I'm like, I know that you think I'm not aware of this, <laughs> but like, I'm like, okay, put that to the side. What can we do with witch elves that can build the most optimum force? 
Yes. And mm -hmm. I think part of the challenges of people like me, people like Rob Symes, people like who, who have a big voice is people take these little pieces of context. They go, Oh, coach said, this is bad. This is, you know, Rob said, this is mm -hmm. bad. It's not doing well on the meta. It's like, well, and, and they take that as truth where it's actually, mm -hmm. I think what you've said is testing and piloting and asking questions like what if, or what if I tried this? And yeah, sometimes mm -hmm. the list doesn't do well, but it's why I don't value list creation as much as some other people because lists are only mm -hmm. part of this. It's the it's how you use your list in the game, mm -hmm. and it's and it's why when people pick up internet lists, like they see a Jack Armstrong, they see a a Gavin, they see a, a Bill Susan, they grab that Bill Susan list and they're like, I'm going to run OBR. OBR went five and zero with Bill Susan, and they don't do as well with the Bill Susan list. And it's not that the list was bad. It's just that there's a lot of things that go into a list creation that it's about how you use your tools. So, um, and there's a lot of people that have blown away tournaments with unconventional picks. Yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion that your video with Dean Bills and his list will probably touch on that subject quite a bit. Well, well, let me tell you this one. So I posted that list in the Seraphon um, Facebook group. And someone made a comment, which I thought was fascinating. They, they put a comment under, they said, I wonder if this guy posted his list in this group before the tournament, how much of, how many of us would have rubbished the list? And mm -hmm. I'm like, it's so interesting that we just look at this and go, oh, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. We don't know the decisions yeah. behind it yet. The bloke won the tournament. So he obviously won the tournament. I 100% did that. When I was looking through all the lists for this tournament, I'm like, oh, he has a card to sort. Ah, he's just a whatever player. And I didn't was, give him any more thought than that. But it was also the, <laughs> Here the, we are. I lost the, twice it, to it. <laughs> it was the loadout even of the Carnosaur. People yeah. looked at it and went, why didn't he have this? Why was this artifact? Why wasn't he doing this? Oh, Actually, yeah. I think it goes back to your magic mm -hmm. and some of the other references. It's like, what am I building towards? What's the role mm -hmm. that it's playing? more than just hammer and anvil. You talked about it, you know, it's capping objectives, yeah. it's screening, things that can do multiple roles, increase its value. Where do the synergies come together mm -hmm. between certain units that make it better than it's by itself on a war scroll? Mm -hmm. um, there's so much richness in the list building that again, when you do a list show, you, you miss it. And that's why we're two and a half hours now in a list discussion talking about the science and the theory behind why the list works. So mm -hmm. whew, any final thoughts, any, and, and then do you want to give any shout outs before we kind of bring this home? Yeah. I mean, I think Skaven is by no means solved. Storm fiends are good in certain builds. This list is good in certain metas. There's still a lot more that I'm excited to try out. Um, you, said one or two lists that I could bring here as a peek behind the curtain. And I don't actually have another list here because I'm just waiting for a GHB to happen before I come up with any other ideas. But currently I'm thinking of doing 60 clan rats, 60 clan rats, two claw lords on foot and a warbringer, and trying to build around that and see what I can do with that. That just seems fun to me. And I think there's something there. And so like, that's just a completely different idea. I'm just waiting for the new GHB to come out for 60s of Klein Rats to be good. Um, but there's still so much more to go after. And I, I think there's a lot more experimenting you can do with the, especially a book like Skaven. 
good advice, go into your next general's handbook and don't just try to transport mm -hmm. the list that worked into the new book because you'll be disappointed. Mm -hmm. And you'll also miss a lot of sleeper units that um, that were, weren't very good that are now good. Um, True. I think I think that's why like I'm it's really hard for me because I'm preparing for LVO and it's like am I building my LVO list for the current general's handbook what's the new general's handbook look like what's incentivizing how is it structured what is going to possibly be good um two final questions number one what's it going to take to get doom wheels back on the table and competitively like doing well I miss them so much competitively so the random movement is what kills me with them they're more of a shooting unit than anything else I feel because you can give them a plus one damage and they're 2d6 shots, three up, three up, rend one damage, d3 plus one. That's actually the most enticing thing about their profile to me. Uh, it's, I think you, I mean, if you keep dropping their points, eventually they'll be playable, right? I feel like if you have enough vulnerability to mortal wounds in a meta or... <clears throat> Maybe if they, it's going to be the fact that when they move over a unit on a two up, they do D3 mortal wounds. So in the movement phase, the charge phase, each piling, they do that. So only, oh, oh, so basically Nobla rules. They, you want Nobla rules yeah. for them. Right. That's going to be what makes them a specific niche fit in so many, if they do break out at one point, I feel. Because if you can violate the Fulminator them, get super high movement, just tag a bunch of mortal wounds and shooting on a thing and then have more can more doom wheels just sitting back shooting waiting for their turn to be filed to do it again that's in my opinion where we're going to see doom wheels getting their value but for now eight wounds on a four up is just too killable for me yeah and if you would add one unit to this book so if you if you were a games workshop employee mm. and you got to release the next skaven model what would you want what do you think's missing that you would add to the faction? What would I want? I want wolf rats. Give me a fast, cheap unit. Give me something that I can... Yeah, I want to be able to deep strike a bunch of clan nets that poop out uh, weapons teams. I want to be able to deep strike storm fiends or send stuff right up midboard with the midrange shooting and then also be able to throw a screen because it's so fast up in front of it. I think wolf rats... We already have the IP. We literally have the models. It's just Forge World. But I want Wolf Rats. I want some kind of fast-moving throwaway piece. Okay. Yeah. I actually don't know what I... I don't know what I want. I'm not, obviously not going the low-hanging fruit of model updates. Like, put that aside. Right. I feel, I feel like the... Uh, I've forgotten the, the, the clan's name that has all of the, uh, the Hellpit Abomination and the... Um, Mulder, yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's more to Molder than could possibly be done. Like, surely there's some crazy Mortal Realm monsters that could be the size of a Mork Crusher or size. Like, surely there's oh, like yeah. some type of supercharged Molder monster that could be created somewhere in the labyrinth. A Molder Vermin Lord. I want a Molder Vermin Lord. That would be so cool. Why is there no Molder Vermin Lord? And I oh, think. And, and and Mason's made a good comment. You know, for me, one of the things that I love the most about Skaven is Eshin. Eshin is actually one of my favorites. And mm -hmm. Slinks and the new Deathmaster has actually got me thinking about Skaven. Otherwise, 
and like obviously the the, the night runners and the gutter runners then pull me back and yeah. re- remind me why I'm not doing it. But like <laughs> if you give me more Eshin and I'd love to see the clans, you know, there's 13 great clans. Like give me some more of the other clans. Give me some depth to some yeah. of the other clans. I think if you cities of Sigmard or you know slaves to darkness this book, I think it could be super rich. Yeah, there's a lot. There's, I mean, you look at Total War Warhammer three, and you're like, I want those things. I want triads. I want Death Runners. I want Wolf Rats. X blah 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 blah. It's like these are all so cool things that could make the army better. All right, give me some shout outs. Anyone, anyone you want to shout out before we bring we wrap this up? Yeah. So I don't do social media, so I don't have any social media of my own. But as we've been mentioning before, uh, Saga of Dice is the local YouTube channel that I show up on regularly. Um, that's with my run by my friend Rob Johnson and a few others that show up on his channel very regularly. They have a podcast with Dale. Dale Johnson is the person who drives me out to all the tournaments and is plenty good competitive player. I'm surprised he wasn't the one getting the golden ticket that <laughs> over me because he is more than capable of doing something like that and he's a great competitive player and he's taken enabled me all that much he has that podcast on saga of dice with dale or with rob rob um shout outs to my two clubs uh my main club warp dice in canada that's we're vancouver bc so we got that's the one competitive vestige i hold out for in AOS and BC, and then also my US friends in uh, Dimensional Cascade. There's a couple of them in the chat, like Stark Pister there. Um, them, they're, they're the real practice that I get playing against super hyper-competitive players, particularly in the Pacific Northwest meta. There's a lot of really good players out there, and I'm glad to have some of them on the same club so I don't have to play them game one when I go to the US to play games yeah the pacific northwest was very vocal there uh there i think there's <laughs> people yeah they're going dc very faction orientated like i see like the uh, old town throwdown crew very you know socal and then you get like the, right there's gonna be like some mad faction wars in america at some point like teams is going to explode and oh it's, man it's, west coast versus east coast <laughs> biggie biggie versus tupac That'd in aos no yeah. no oh, i'm not ready for those hits on twitter <laughs> but mate you have been incredible I, I i feel like there's so much untapped stuff uh if people want to know more uh you did do a chat with saga of dice recently go check that out if you mm-hmm. want to actually see um how the skaven have played again go check out saga of dice i know you're not like you're not on the you're, you're a frequent guest there so mm-hmm. matthias 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 <laughs> Matthias. <laughs> Matthias, damn it. I'm like, it yeah, almost yeah. at the two and a half hour mark. I'm like, yeah, I've forgotten now. Right. Matthias. Matthias. <laughs> yeah, no way. Put like, like hyphens in your name. Like, where, where are my pauses? <laughs> Dude, you've been incredible. I hope to oh. see you soon. Um, this was great. Um, thank you so much. And thank you for everyone who joined the chat and joined the live stream. And hopefully you picked up a couple of ideas with Skaven, whether it is picking up the warp lightning cannon, whether it is... Uh, some cool little combinations with the giant rats but more importantly let me know in the mm-hmm. comments i'd be curious to hear what do you want from a new skaven yeah. range don't just tell me boring stuff like updated models yeah. like what give me something new give me something chunky give me something exciting tell me yeah something that we'd see on the uh 
the preview thing that Warhammer community has, and we'd be like, "Ooh, I reckon you got something on that that new Vermin Lord." I reckon that, that uh, uh, something in that. Yeah, upgrade kit for Vermin Lord. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody. Let's let's wrap this up. Peace out. Thanks for hanging around until the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would love it if you pressed like on the video, as well as left me a comment to let me know what your thoughts are. The conversation will continue over on Discord, and the link is down below in the video description. I want to give a massive shout out as well to the AOS Coast Patreons and YouTube members who are going in and the funds are supporting the channel and the growth that you're seeing here. So cheers, you're all bloody legends. And until next time, don't roll a one on a redeploy.